Oh, what's going on, everybody? I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. You know, I just want to start with what a man's man Dane Fife is. I just said a couple of seconds ago, man, I'm starving right now. And he's already handing me snacks. Unbelievable over here. Great job. And uh, he knows I'm a Notre Dame football junkie, and he still handed me snacks. I think he temporarily forgot about that for a second. Is that true, Dane? No, I am a man's man. I'm for everybody. You know, if Jimmy wants something, Jimmy and I have had our differences over the past couple months, but he can have anything he wants from me, too. You know, I got the football here, if you're watching. Um, we pass the football over. We, we have a lot of fun here. That's great, man. You got to have fun. Uh, I, you had a lot of fun on Saturday. 79-71. I think the uh, weather, which is worse? Is it the weather today or is it Purdue's offense on Saturday? I'm not sure. <laughs> because the weather sucks, but it might have been better than Purdue and their lack of shot making throughout I'll the game. I'll tell you, it was, it, a, a big part of it was just, uh, you know, the, the Indiana's pressure. But the other part was Indiana's offense was just, Purdue didn't have an answer for Jalen Hutchifino, and I give Trace Jackson Davis a ton of credit for the yeah. maturity he showed, just in, in just doing his job. He's not going to be involved much offensively, numbers wise, but he just did his job. He set screens, he rolled hard, and he stayed in the game by not following Zach Eady, which was a big part of it. Yeah, he didn't force it, you know. And there are a lot of players. If you are the guy, sometimes you force it when it's just it's not your night to be the offensive uh, playmaker just by the way that they're playing you. So I agree with you. Trace Jackson Davis did a great job. Jalen Hood Shafino, you mentioned it. JHS, as Jim Jackson said, just hitting shots. I love that during the game. But 35 points, a career high. He was sensational. He was allowed to get to his sweet spot, which is about two steps above the charge circle, the half circle underneath the basket. And when he got downhill with his right hand, bang he stuck it he got downhill with his left hand Purdue tried to force him left and he made shots with his left hand made the floater with his left hand I mean that's a guy that I think even in watching Jalen Hutchfino in high school that's the shot that you have to be able to hit all the way to the NBA because teams are going to guard you the way Purdue guarded them mm-hmm. and that's the NBA way they call it drop where they go over the top with the guy defending Jalen Hutchifino and they drop the big basically back waiting for him in the middle of the lane and you hit that shot and and you have to be able to hit that shot and that's exactly what I I would be interesting to go back and see what percentage of those 35 points were made off that shot yeah yeah I mean, 14 made field goals and yeah if you'd went junkie and just charted everything you're right he was he was outstanding man and I think that was that was the best takeaway or the best feeling for an IU fan is wow like we're much more than just a one-man band because Trace Jackson Davis has carried them throughout most of the season and when he scored 10 points they still go into Mackey and win decisively they got a lot of contributions beyond uh, Trace Jackson Davis, so that is a that's a huge shot in the arm when you're looking at the Big Ten tournament and the Big Dance coming up here shortly. I think you're exactly right, Brian. And for Jalen Hood Shafino to be able to do it on the road, he's he's done well, but it's been primarily at home. So when he when he's able to do that on the road, um, it definitely adds another dimension that teams are going to have to watch. Teams are watching now. Teams around the country are watching now. 
and they're learning very quickly after the Mackey game, after the Purdue game, that Indiana isn't a one-man show, and they have to account, and that's more preparation, and it's more time that you're spending on the other team as opposed to your team when you're preparing for March Madness. Yeah, and you think about the confidence boost. Think about that, because the tournament, the big dance, is not that far away, and you go in and win a road game like that, that place was jumping yeah it's loud it's a intense atmosphere the whole thing and you go in and you pull it out like that the confidence it gives you I I think that sticks with you we got a lot of games between now and the big dance but I don't think that confidence leaves you when it matters most come tournament time and it's another step um, that Indiana's taken um, to to bring their team to another level is the fact that they understand how to win on the road. They understand to, how to win without the Assembly Hall crowd, without the Indiana crowd. And that is a huge step because when it's tournament time and most of the arena will be against you mm-hmm. because you're, by and large, playing an underdog, especially the first round and perhaps the second round, the arena will be against you. And when that opponent makes a run, the arena is against you and it feels like a road game. And they have proven that they and now they understand how to withstand a run by an opponent on away from home that's a big part of it that's the one thing about basketball that i love the most is if you had told me before the game that trace jackson davis would score 10 points <laughs> he'd get outscored by Edie 26 to 10 you had purdue out rebound iu by 16 mm. you had purdue make what 12 more free throws you told me all of that before the game and said what do you think happens i'd be like it sounds like purdue wins easily mm-hmm. and it was the opposite mm-hmm. it's crazy how that works sometimes i thought it'd be lopsided i thought purdue would run away with it uh, just kind of what you're saying but um i also see a purdue team that's been shook for for a couple weeks they're just kind of knocked there there's something not right and what i do think happened that's positive for purdue is the exposure was was clear. It was clear-cut based on what Purdue has a weakness on, and that is defending a guard off the ball screen. Right. A good guard that can make that make the make great decisions once they get into paint with Zach Eady in their face and the defender uh coming behind them or on on their side, can you make a good decision once you get deep into the paint? And that was probably ex- something that Purdue, in the long run, I think they can be thankful happened to them because it forces them to change up in a major way the defensive coverage on the ball screen, which has always been a knock on Purdue once they've decided to go with the the bigger big, the 7'5 guy, the 7'4, the Isaac Haas, the um, A.J. Hammonds. Once they've decided to go with the great big, it's always been a problem for them. How much do you make out of, and this happens almost every time, you immediately, ah, Matt Painter got outcoached. Yeah. Got outcoached over yeah. here. Like, I get it. You're doubling Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, look, pick your poison on Saturday night, I feel like. Yeah, you could you could say, hey, they should have tried this. Maybe they should have doubled uh, Hood Shafino. Yeah. I think you're screwed either way. Yeah. On that night. I, I don't think there was a, a defensive adjustment to make where it's yeah. like, oh, this changes everything. Yeah, yeah. The, the, Purdue had a, a couple different game plans. Game plan one was to try to force Jalen hood Shafino to his left, all right, when we're talking about the ball screen. And then we what we heard during a timeout, I thought it was interesting that 
Matt Painter it, during a timeout in the second half talked about if Jalen Hood Shafino comes off the ball screen and gets downhill to his right with his right hand dribble, veer it. And veer means it's an NBA term. Veer means switch. And he was talking to Zach Eady and the bigs that were going to be guarding Trace Jackson Davis. Go ahead and veer it. But he said the the switch has to be called by the guard. So if the guard knows he's in trouble and he can't catch up to Jalen Hood Shafino, then go ahead and switch it, mm-hmm. which means that either the guard has to switch on to Trace, a rolling Trace Jackson Davis or has to switch on to the guy in the in the far corner because his man's switched and rotated to Trace Jackson Davis. I didn't see the switch much, but I but I also wanted to point out that first and foremost, the major key was to shut down Trace Jackson Davis. No rolls, no rolling buckets, and no post-up buckets. We're going to double the post when he catches it, and we're going to help. We're going to really pinch in hard and prevent any lobs, any energy plays from Trace Jackson Davis. We're taking him out of the game. And to that point, I hadn't seen enough um, excellence from Jalen hood Shafino, but clearly I was wrong and Purdue was wrong. That was just an incredible, a memorable, that will go down into the books as one of the great performances from an IU player at Purdue. I don't think there'll be one better. And that's one of the all-time great performances. And that's where I think it's more you got to tip your cap than point the finger. Yeah, I, I don't think it was a, a defensive strategy type right. thing. No, I think it was the right strategy. It's just yep. Hood Shafino went off for a career high. You also had contributions from Galloway hitting threes, cops hitting threes. That to me is a tip your cap type night to yeah. IU. If yeah. you give them those shots, if that's what they're getting yep. and they make you pay, yep. so be it. Because yep. if you have Jackson Davis just rolling to the hoop, yep. He's going to kill you. No, he's, he's going to dunk you. There'll be a lot of head taps, you know, the head taps. Yeah. Dunk on your head. That's Even right. Zach Eady, uh, he'd be dunking on him. And that's those are energy plays that you you don't want to give Trace Jackson Davis a chance to get going, to get his confidence up. And I thought Purdue did great in taking away Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, and they still came up short. Yeah. How about Purdue's offense for a couple of minutes over here? It just, they yeah. couldn't get in rhythm. They yeah. couldn't hit an outside shot. Yeah. They hit two threes in like the final minute yep. to still suck from three-point yeah. range. You yeah. know, they're just it, a, a a skosh over 20% from yeah. distance. The missed free throws left and right. It always seemed like it was a key moment where there was a, a missed free throw. Remember the, yeah. the steal? Who was it? Um, there was a steal on Hood Shafino from Brandon Newman. Mm-hmm. And there was a, it was a nine-point IU lead with under seven minutes to go. And so Newman steals the ball and gets fouled. Yep. And he goes and misses both free misses throws. Misses both. That's right. <laughs> and I think at that point, um, you know, we use the word pressing. I think the Purdue guards, the whole Purdue team, they they were out of rhythm. They were they, for lack of a better term or terms, they were they were very shook. Um, they're at home. They're used to. That's a huge game. They're used to just just stepping on someone like they did against Ohio State a couple days before. And this is an Indiana team that Trey Galloway doesn't get enough credit for the amount of pressure and his ability to to rattle a guard and defend a guard. And then you have Hood Shafino, which is outstanding. I thought Tamar Bates came in and did a good job. And then once you get downhill, if you're a Purdue guard, you've got Trace Jackson Davis waiting for you, who's one of the elite shot blockers in the country. 
I don't think the Indiana athleticism gets enough credit for what it is, but they are incredible up out out up top the way they defend the guards. And Purdue with their young guards, their young offense, um, there's not enough there to spring a Fletcher lawyer wide open for a shot. There's not enough there um, for uh, a Braden Smith to get great looks all the time. There's just not enough there. I think it's too Zach Eady reliant at this point. Uh, and I think by and large, it's because of their youth. Yeah, this isn't an excuse. I think it's more of an explanation as to, like, why did they shoot so badly yeah. from outside? I think you can get in your own head yeah. for a lot of reasons. One, Hood Shafino's going nuts. Yeah. And, and you're trying to match buckets, and exactly. you're not. <laughs> you start pressing. Yeah, yeah I think it's pressing. a great point, Brian. It really is. And I think you saw guys um, like a Fletcher, like uh, – Brennan Gillis, who are missing shots they normally make with ease. They make their shots in their sleep. So you could tell something was up. Yeah. And the best word I can come up with was they were a little shook by the Indiana offense because they were. They, they felt like they had to go bucket to, for bucket. And Indiana's defense with Galloway and Jalen hood Shafino up top, those are two really good defensive guards that wreak a lot of havoc without getting a ton of steals. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't show up in the stats. That's, That's exactly right. You know, but you can still uh, get in someone's head that way as well. I wouldn't – and that's a good point. It isn't just Purdue missing shots. I don't want to make it sound like they just had wide-open shots that right. just flat-out missing. A lot of it is I use defensive pressure, mm-hmm. but you got to be better than 21% from distance. Especially at home. Especially at home. Absolutely at home. By the way, uh, Trey Galloway, I'd love – got to have a crazy guy on your team <laughs> – He's a crazy guy. He tried to dunk on Edie. He tried to yam it on Edie. That he is did. awesome. Yeah, that takes guts for anybody to do something like that. <laughs> Galloway, he he is a tremendous athlete. He's been hurt so much. I don't think people have seen the the athleticism that he has, but he can rise. He reminds me of a young Jimmy Cook. Um, yeah, that's true. Absolute athlete. Little less bounce. Little, okay. Yeah. Well, I think, again, if when Trey gets healthy, I think you'll see the full gamut of what he has. He's got an arsenal. I love the uh, Tasmanian Devil uh, the fast shelf. break from uh, Galloway, <laughs> where it's just like elbows yep. and everything, just flying yep. down there for Plus the fast the hair, break dunk. The hair, yeah, the Michael Myers, yeah, kind of the just everywhere hair, everywhere hair. It's Michael Myers look from absolutely Halloween. got it going on over there. But uh, yeah, it's a, a great, great performance by IU and the opposite for Purdue. I just, you know, that's the thing we hear this a lot about Trace Jackson Davis is. Well, he's, he's tired, and that certainly was true. Yeah. But if you think about Purdue, if you're looking for a pick-me-up, if you're looking at, well, you know, they had, hit their rough patch, kind of like Kansas. Matt Painter pointed this out, where Kansas, as many, you know, quad one wins as they have, they lost three in a row yeah. in the Big 12. Purdue hit their rough patch. We thought that the IU game was going to be them coming out of the darkness, a la Aaron Rodgers, and it was the opposite. And they had six days off before that game. That's not a fatigue-type thing. So it's no. like, what do you point to to pick, pick yourself up yeah. as a Purdue fan? You just say, hey, man, this is one of those nights. Is that enough to feel good right. going forward? I don't right. think so. No, I, I think it really forces them to look internal, you know, look internal and, and really try to see um, exactly maybe. So, so what you do is – you know, the the term would be, okay, Purdue does what Purdue does. Wisconsin defends the way Wisconsin defends. It doesn't change. They're going to have to come out of their, 
comfort zone if we're talking Purdue and really do some deep digging on what's going to be best for our team. You know, the one thing that that I might have done when I watched that game is I might have switched Zach Eady off of Trace Jackson Davis mm-hmm. and put him on Race Thompson. Yeah. Okay. And try to keep Zach Eady underneath the rim as much as possible. And that will allow um, maybe a Caleb first or a Brennan Gillis to hedge the ball screen, to mm-hmm. get out and impact that ball screen and make it go the opposite way as opposed to what was happening and allowing Jalen Hood Shafino to go right to the to his sweet spot. I'm Brian though. He's Dane Fife here on the fan. What a weekend of hoops just collectively. All those buzzer beaters mm. in college. You had Arizona State against Arizona. The Florida State comeback. Florida State comes back from down 25 against Miami. They had a buzzer beater. There's a buzzer beater in the San Diego State game. I, you know what, Dane? We should do this real fast because uh, Iowa came back on Michigan State. I don't want to talk about it. I know. <laughs> I know, but Iowa hit five three-pointers at the end of that game. Tom Izzo has forgotten way more basketball than I'll ever know. But how do you not foul in the final seconds when Iowa is red hot? <laughs> they can't miss from three. Why do you not foul in the final I, seconds you know of three? I would have. I really would have. But the problem is, is it's something you have to practice. When you got a 30-second timeout or something, and it's the first, you have to practice it. And knowing what I know, there's not many teams that practice it. I think the ones that do foul typically practice the foul and when and how. And you've got to let the officials know. There's a lot of things that take place before you actually foul. But it seems easier than it is. Uh, but you can make it. You can really be silly and make an intentional foul. Um, think about this. They, Iowa scored. 23 points in the last minute and 30. <laughs> 23. That doesn't even sound I'm gonna, real. I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm disgusted with my Spartans. Yeah. Um, and you know what? The the funny part of it is, is Michigan State had four possessions in that final minute and 30. Three of them, they got fouled on it. They made five of six free throws. They only, They traveled one time in the press, but it wasn't like they were awful offensively. It's just defensively, they did some things that I didn't even recognize. Yeah. I couldn't tell what they were doing, and um, that's not to say that they weren't doing some of it right. I'd say on two of those two of those five threes that Iowa hit, they were well defended. But the other three were just, what are we doing? You know, this is, this is a convenient second guess because I know the results of that Iowa-Michigan State game. but And this isn't to call out Tom Izzo. I'll call him call out. Call him out. I'll call him out for the final three that was hit. In the final <laughs> seconds, you got to foul. But what do you think about this strategy? A team like Michigan State who has a healthy lead, what do you think about playing the foul game You know, where they're the just reverse. not hitting threes to even get close? Right. What, what do you think about that? I, I think, once again, I, I like the idea. I really do. Yeah. It, it did. You did just pique my interest. Brian, but Good. I still think that you got to practice it. Yeah, because your players they they don't necessarily want to foul, especially and they don't understand. Well, I've I've got four. Why would I foul? And they don't understand how to foul. And again, it it, it you have to inform the officials on every possession, what's going on, and still you, you how do you want to use clock because the clock is your friend, mm-hmm. but you want to use it. And so when do you foul? How do you foul? 
and then you've got the opponent trying to sh- trying to time when you're going to foul so they can get the three point the three free throws. It's not as easy as maybe one would think, but nonetheless, it's an interesting strategy that I like. Yeah, I'm, you're going to elongate the games. Maybe the well, gamblers who took the over are going to love that strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the one negative is you do. You you stop the clock, and that's yeah. one thing you don't want to do is stop the clock when you have the lead. You want to keep that clock running. Yeah, and I wouldn't – like that would be – a terrible second guess is when you're up 10, why aren't you fouling Michigan State? I wouldn't say that, but if they're getting closer and closer, they're down by seven, they're down by six, they're down by three, you know, however it plays out. I I don't know. It's something to keep in mind over there. I'll call Izzo after this. Yeah. You tell him. I'm not going to tell him. I'll just get him on the phone with you. So I did a show with this guy named No. He had an interesting (laughs) strategy. Maybe it's food for thought. Maybe try it out. You know, I have to shift my power rankings here, Uh Oh, Dane. So we have the power rankings here on the show of uh, traffic annoyances, okay? Traffic annoyances. And I had at the top of the list tailgate drivers. That was that was well, get out of the way. Top but, of the list. Okay. Someone who's on your bumper, hate it. Hate it. It's dangerous. You're not getting there any faster. No. Nope. You're just annoying the hell out of me. You know what I mean? I, I, no, I get you. I hate tailgate drivers. My wife does. She does too. To me, I think it's my fault if somebody's tailgating me. <laughs> right. You do. I do. I, okay. Um, I have a new number one based on the drive down from South Bend this morning. Uh oh. Slow guy left lane. New leader of the power rankings, traffic annoyance. Brutal. Get over. Oh. You know, if you're going the speed limit, hey, get over to the right lane. If if you're if you're in the left lane driving slow and you got more than one car behind you, if I'm pa- I, you're getting a toot, you're getting a toot from me. <laughs> uh, semis are the worst when they do that. Just get over, man. <laughs> you're powerless. That's why I had to, I I thought about this. It wasn't about what we were going to say on the show. No. Like, I, I know what we're going to talk no. about. It was all about traffic annoyances this morning that was the only thing on my mind is like do i put slow guy left lane in the number one spot and after thinking about it yes i'm gonna make that determination dane because you are powerless what's your course of action if you've got slow guy left lane well you can't get over to the right you're just stuck you could be you could flash the brights i'm not gonna do that my wife will though yeah you will you do My that? My wife will. You flash the brights. I've done it a couple times. You have done it. Um, you you got to be selective. Like if, if you got to go if it's pickup truck with the KC headlights, stay away from <laughs> big big wheels. Not, chances are, Not but good. if it's minivan, um, you know newer Cadillac, you can you can honk, you can flash. You, you got to be selective on what kind of car you're dealing with. That's true. That that's a good point right there. Yeah. You know if the, you another one is you kind of. You veer to the center lane if you have room, and you kind of yeah. act like yeah, yeah, you're yeah. looking around them to see if they're, you veer or veer to the the uh, shoulder, kind of look around to see if like they recognize that you're looking to see if anybody's in front of them, what's going on. They might speed up. That might be a first course of action. Yeah, that's more courteous. But then it happened this morning. If they're going the same speed, left lane, right lane, that's the worst. You got nothing. There's That's you where you do. go to the center. You the center you on the median, and you just drive between them and go three deep there. <laughs> That'll wake some one of them up, hopefully. Or, or you go straight shoulder. You go straight shoulder you do. right around. That'll them. show whether the guy in the left lane is just being a jerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look, if you veer to the median, the middle of the, and look between them. That'll just tell you the the guy in the left lane is either being a jerk or just making a. Uh, 
uh, a little blunder. He'll speed up if he's not being. If he's just being a jerk, he'll he'll stay there still. Yeah, I like it. I like that. It's a good strategy right there by you, Dane. We got a lot to do on the show today. We got Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, coming up. Donald. Don Donnie. Brother Don. Old fish is you what. You seen they... Donnie Brasco? No. Are you serious? No, I'm not. I'm dead serious. You got to check that out, Dane. Al Pacino. Is that with uh, Johnny Depp? Yeah, Johnny Depp. Okay. Donnie. Donnie. Al Pacino says it a bunch in that in that film over there. I die for you, Donnie. He says uh, I would die for Donald Fisher. <laughs> you would die for Donnie. I would. Donnie I... Fish. He's coming up here at 1230, just around the corner. Uh, we got Colts talk. J.J. Stankovich. We're looking at him at 1 o'clock. We got Alex Golden at 2 o'clock. We got Mike DeCorsi at 2.30. Are we going to have time to talk today, Dane? I don't know, but I'd like to have time to eat these cashews that I'm holding in my hand. You want some cashews? I'm, I'm up for some cashews. I'll, I'll dive into those in just a couple of seconds here. Don Fisher right around the corner. Oh, I'm Don. Brian No. Don. Donnie, I died for you, Donnie. Don. He's Dane Fife. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Dane Fife here on The Fan. How are the cashews, Dane? Cashews doing well over there? Excellent. Excellent on the cashews. Excellent. Nice. Like to hear that. Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers, joins us here on the fan. Don, are you a, a fan of cashews over there? I am not a cashew guy at all. I like pecans. I like walnuts. I like just about any kind of nut, and I'm not a fan of cashew. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. Dane looked. Uh, he looked disappointed for a second, and then he said, "No audio," so he didn't hear any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that he was like, "He's not a cashews guy." No, he didn't hear any of that. That's what was really going on, Don. Well, here's the thing. No you know, with that, you, you somebody needs to c- uh, control the buttons because Dane is not exactly in tune to radio facilities. <laughs> no problem, man. Uh, Don, how much different was the result for IU on Saturday? compared to what you expected heading into that game? Well, I expected exactly what we saw, although I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I expected a win, but I thought Indiana could win the ball game. But I, I expected exactly the kind of environment that we got. Uh, it was special, as it always is at Mackey, when uh, Purdue fans see that Indiana on the chest of the guys coming into the arena, it, they go absolutely berserk, and they certainly did in this ball game. But the good news is Indiana quieted them in the second half with their performance. It was just a terrific performance by Indiana. Yeah, Jalen hood Shafino, 35 points, career high. What do you think of the nickname Jim Jackson gave him? Just hitting shots for his initials there. You like that, Don? Uh, it's not a bad one in this case. <laughs> I mean, Jalen was spectacular. He really was. And controlled the game, did a tremendous job of handling the basketball. He's had a few issues this year and tur- turning it over too many times. But in this game, he did such a great job in, in virtually every aspect of it. He was good defensively. He obviously shot the ball lights out. And his his point guard performance, getting the ball where it needed to go, was spectacular as well. There's, there's no question he was the star of this ball game, but there were a lot of other people that contributed, at least the starting lineup-wise. The bench didn't do much. They only had two points off the bench and three rebounds. Uh, obviously, it was not the bench that factored into this ball game. It was all the starters. Hey, uh, Fish, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm here. Man. How are you? I'm doing great. What are you talking about, Indiana's bench? You remember the time when you were my golf partner and you forgot to show up? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but here's the thing, Dane. We didn't win. You didn't help us. <laughs> That's even worse. That'd be like the starters not showing up. <laughs> hey, Fish, I, I, I thought this, uh, aside from Jalen Huchifino, I mean, First of all, wouldn't wouldn't you say that this is one of the all-time great performances that an IU player's had at Purdue? Absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, I don't remember anybody that's kind of taken over the game like he did, especially in the first half at any point in a Purdue ball game in all the years that I've been doing it. That's not to say we haven't had some really good performances from people. Because to win at Mackey, you've got to have good performances. Mm-hmm. But you generally, it's a team thing. And it was in this case, too except that this guy was head and above everybody else on the floor, at least in what he was able to produce. Right. And, uh, you know, for a freshman to do that at Mackey Arena in that environment, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it I mean, really having is. been a guy that won there twice like I did, um, I thought it was <laughs> – <laughs> Hey, Fish, one, one thing that I thought was underrated, is underrated, and people may not understand the, the average fan – the maturity of Trace Jackson Davis, and and let me speak to that. I thought that I think he fully recognized early that he wasn't going to be a big part of the game. And Brian and I talked about it earlier. Um, I think in years past, you know, Trace would maybe take himself out of the game completely with his energy, with mm-hmm. his defense when he's not scoring and. What I thought is he continued to follow the execute the defensive game plan to excellence um, in defending Zach Eady and and impacting shots at the rim, and then I thought he continued to do his job offensively by setting screens, rolling hard, forcing help, forcing Zach Eady to stay out of Jalen Hood Shafino's way so he could get deep into the paint to his sweet spot. I thought that was an underrated performance by Trace Jackson Davis and. He should get a ton of credit, um, you know, for the way he he did the, for the job he did. He and Race Thompson against Trace, uh, I'm sorry, Zach Eady, along with, um, you know, his job in in springing Jalen Huchfino open. I agree with you, Doc. Doc, I'm sorry, Dane. I didn't no. mean to call you Doc. But no, you meant I to call me to... Dork. You can call me Doc. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking, I was thinking, your Dad, Doc, it's because I did this show with him for like 15 or so. Well, for the record, it was <laughs> a lot, a lot smarter, a lot more handsome, and a lot better. Looks a lot better wearing the number 11 jersey. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You're absolutely right about Trace. He he was engaged in the whole ball game. And you're right. At previous times in his career at Indiana, he wasn't that guy all the time. But he was totally engaged in this game. And even in the second half, uh, he scored a few points early. Uh, then again, kind of took a backseat to everybody else as far as the scoring and that kind of aspect was concerned. And what I liked about it was when he came back to huddles at, during timeouts, that kind of thing, he was talking to every one of those guys on the floor, all of his teammates, got him in the huddle, telling him exactly what he was thinking, what they needed to do if they weren't doing it, those kinds of things. He was acting the leader that he has been all season long. And that's the biggest improvement in what we've seen out of Trace Jackson Davis because he can get disengaged or has in the past yep. gotten disengaged in ball games where if it's not him, you know, he's really not there. But he is this year. For the most part, he has been a guy that understood his role completely. And when things weren't going his way, he was still getting other people involved. 
And to that degree, uh, Dan, Dan, this is the big thing you got to remember. He is the second leading guy in this team in assists this year, and he's only behind Hood Shafino by about four assists. Mm. He has been spectacular in that vein. He's Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers here on The Fan. You know, Don, you might have heard it. I've heard it a few times after that game. Some people saying that Matt Painter got outcoached. To me, it wasn't a strategy thing. I think it was a tip-your-cap thing where Hood Shafino just went ballistic. They weren't going to give Jackson Davis you know, rolls to the hoop and easy baskets. They were going to make other guys earn it, and that's what IU did. So I don't think it was being outcoached. I think that you had Galloway hit shots, you had Cop hit shots, you had Hood Shafino right. go off. I don't think it was a strategy thing. What's your read on that type of talk? I agree 100% on that. I really do. I mean, look, Miller Cop is a guy that just doesn't take enough shots, number one. In this game, he took nine. He knocked down five, and three of them were three-pointers. They were all critical. And Trey Galloway, I, I've said this to other people many times this year, he needs to shoot more as well. He needs, in fact, I talk, every time I see him in a hallway, on a bus, on an airplane, I go, every, walk, I walk past him and I go, shoot. Every single time, because the guy's hitting 50-some percent of his three-point shots. He's been doing it that way consistently all year. He just hasn't shot enough. In this ball game, he knocks down three of the four that he takes. He scores 13 points. He played a brilliant floor game along with Shafino. He had five assists and no turnovers in the contest, and his defense was a real key to why Indiana was able to keep Braden Smith and uh, uh, Fletcher, um, Fletcher Lawyer uh, under contains or in containment. So obviously, I mean, this was a team win, but it was a starting five team win because the defense or the uh, other guys on the, on the bench didn't do much at all. You know, Don, I just think your velvet tones over here, and I heard your calls, numerous highlights with IU on Saturday. I feel like I would overdo it if I had a voice like that. I would just do it in the morning like bacon for breakfast and I can't do it like you. Do you ever overdo it in normal everyday life? Uh, only with my wife and then I get I get tattooed. She just absolutely blows me up when I start doing that stuff. So I've not done it probably in years because I don't want to get blown up every day. No, I totally appreciate that. How much of a shot in the arm do you think this gives IU going forward? Last couple of games of the regular season, Big Ten tournament around the corner, going into Mackey, hostile environment, and playing the way they did. How much do you think this might propel them going forward? Well, it only propels them if they can keep it going with the intensity level that they played with on Saturday because they're about to face two teams that are hot right now and playing some of their best basketball in Iowa and Michigan this week to close out the regular season. And we know once they get into the Big Ten tournament where Indiana has always fared poorly, and that's with the exception of maybe one time in the final game and never have won this Big Ten tournament, this is a team that cannot let its guard down. And when they have this year, when they haven't played up to their potential or their focus and their um, uh their intensity level that they need to play with, they've gotten beaten. And they started that way against Michigan State last week, played terrific, built a nine-point lead, and then the last six, seven minutes of the first half, let it all slip away with their lack of focus on the three-point line and let Tyson Walker get off and just kills Indiana at that point and took a lead by halftime. In the second half, Indiana wasn't in the game. So they cannot let up at all. They've got to play like they did Saturday in every game the rest of the way. Yeah, and Fish, do you, when you talk about weak spots, um, let's talk about what 
Indiana needs to do moving forward. Uh, besides, uh, <clears throat> and, and I guess I can answer the question too, but besides you know, lack of focus, what do you think teams uh, have really done and and will communicate with you know friends in the league moving forward? Uh, what do you think Indiana, if there's a weak spot um, X's and O's wise or personnel wise, where do you think it's at? Well, that's a hard question to answer because there are weak spots on every team. Just you can you can find them on just about every team that you play against. But I, I think Indiana's biggest struggle this year has been the mental side of it. Is just to be focused every time they walk out on the floor and play with that intensity level. You see it from Rutgers uh, defensively all the time. And look what happened to them yesterday. I mean, they were down 19, I believe it was, to Penn State in that contest and came back to win it uh, in the last 10 minutes of the ball game just because they were so focused defensively. Mm-hmm. And offense is created from defense a lot of the time, and, and that's what got them back in that ball game. And I think if Indiana would play with that kind of mentality, that defensive mentality all the time, and not worry about the offense so much that they would be uh, they would be a phenomenal team because their talent level is all you need. They've got enough talent on this basketball team to go a long, long way in, in the Big Ten or the NCAA tournament. It's that focus that you have to have and that intensity level that you have to have each and every time you walk out on the floor. And sometimes we just don't see that from this team. Yep. Fish, uh, obviously, I, see, I've said all along, Indiana's got national championship caliber talent. There's no and athleticism. There's just no doubt in my mind. What other teams have you seen, either in the Big Ten or around the country, have that ability to to at least Final Four talent? Well, I don't think there's much question that Kansas has it, <laughs> and I think Arizona is another team that Indiana played this year that probably has has it. Uh, I haven't seen enough of of all the other schools. I mean, you get glimpses of them and that kind of thing. Athletically, uh, you, you can talk about teams like Texas and, and uh, who was – oh, Baylor. I mean, that's another team that's got all kinds of talent. Uh, it's just whether it all comes together at the right time. But in truth, uh, from a Big Ten perspective, the team that scares me the most is Maryland. I mean, these guys are wow. playing lights-out basketball with their defense. Um you could say what you want about Kevin Willard. This guy has really done a tremendous, terrific job in his first season, and their guys have all bought into what they're selling. And right now, Doc or Dan, oh, I don't Dork, know I just call me Doc. Dork. Dor- okay, Dork. Uh, <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, right now they scare me because they've got that little guard that continues to play lights out in Young. Yep. And the good news for Indiana is maybe this week, hopefully this week. Xavier Johnson may come back, whether it's against Iowa tomorrow night or it's against uh, Michigan on Sunday. In either one of those scenarios, Dane, I think right now Indiana's got to win those two ball games, but they're going to go up against some guys with those guards that can light you up. Yep. And we and without without the quickness at the guard spot, and I think Trey Galloway does a tremendous job on most everybody he guards, but. The little guards have beaten Indiana this mm-hmm. year. Look what Boo Booey did to him. Look what the young kid did to him when they played Maryland. And that's the guy that you've got to be able to put somebody on that you can get stopped or at least slowed down. And without Xavier Johnson, Indiana hasn't had that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Fish, I wanted to pick your brain about Xavier real fast, too, because I look at Indiana, it's almost like a treadmill. 
right? And they've got the treadmill on a high speed right now, and they're moving. And now we're trying to incorporate Xavier Johnson into that mix. How challenging do you think it's going to be for him to get up to speed, for the other four guys on the court to sort of adapt and have the right chemistry, and then you're thinking about the right minutes and all How challenging is it going to be to incorporate him at the key stretch of the entire season? Well, it's not for me to say. It is for Mike Woodson to say. And that's, that's his job as the head coach of this basketball team to figure that out because when you put a guy who's not played basketball for your team for two months now, uh, and he comes back, and you've really kind of got a core of guys that have been playing the most minutes and have done a really good job in that vein. You take a look at what Indiana's done since the what the fourth game of the Big Ten season or a Big Ten restart of the season back in January. X hasn't been any part of that. And so now you've got to incorporate him somehow. He is definitely a guy that you have to have uh, that will be a factor for your basketball team if he gets back into the right scenario. And whether that's as a starter or coming off the bench, whatever it may be, but that's, again, up to the head coach to get that figured out because him coming back is going to disrupt things a little bit. It's not going to be the same when he's on the floor out there initially. It, it can turn into that eventually, but it's going to take a game or two, and that's why I think getting him back this week is so important if Indiana can get him back because you, if you're going to have a problem, you want it to be now, not in the Big Ten tournament or in the NCAA tournament. Fish, you're the man. We really appreciate your time today. And, uh, you know, maybe have some cashews a little bit later today. I don't know. <laughs> Partner, I'll catch up with you here. Dane, I apologize. I Donald. Since I'm doing this thing with Doc all hey, Please, years, no explanation. <laughs> well, it, it's an explanation because it's I'm old. You can make <laughs> make it up to me and show me the, the secret behind those, those hot calves and that unbelievable tan that you have year-round. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dane. You're welcome. Giving my partner. secrets away. That's my you're partner. Kill, you're killing me. That's my. Hey, no, that's the truth. That's my golf partner. Yeah, when he shows up, right? Yeah, when he brings his well, game, right? Yeah. I I've been chastised for that one appearance so much over the years from Dane Fife. It makes me sick. A lot was put on that. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. We'll catch you See soon, you Don. There he is, Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. Good stuff, man. Very good. All right, coming up next, Adam Schefter, Dane. Adam Schefter is reporting news. He's saying there are many teams asking the Bears about the number one overall pick. Okay, so I want to play a little what-if game, Colts style over here. Okay, a little what-if scenario city around the corner. I'm Brian No. He's Dane Fife. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife here on The Fan. So we got news over here, Dane. Adam Schefter. His Blackberry is blowing up. He says that many teams are inquiring about the number one overall pick. Many teams have reached out to the Chicago Bears to potentially move up Blockbuster City to get the number one overall pick. Now here's where my brain goes. Notre Dame football. Beyond that, and beyond out, Outcast, which I love this song. It's a very good song. <laughs> Jimmy's not happy. <laughs> Jimmy's wearing many hats. He's trying to fix your headphone fiasco over here. You got wires. You got. I've never seen so many plugs Is, for headphones. What's going on? Does Jimmy have his own camera? Is there a Jimmy cam? <laughs> 
There needs to be. There has to be a Jimmy there, Cam. He's cool the, under fire, though. This, well, oh, he's let me, so let, smooth. Let me just ask me to go get the Jimmy Cam ready, and then I'll tell you when we have Can that. you get the Jim Cam yeah, yeah, going? Sure. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Jim Cam. <laughs> he's wearing many hats over here, as yes. you are. I've ne- I never knew there were that many I've parts done this. to a... Uh, like an adapter over there. I've done this. I've put Jimmy in a conundrum here. It's like <laughs> I've I've just destroyed Jimmy. I've destroyed his afternoon. He's here. a gamer. He's not he destroyed is. at he, all. He loves this stuff. He's rallying over here. He loves Woo! it. Oh. See? There oh, he, he is. He's gone. There's case <laughs> he walked off. That was his drop the mic moment. So many teams have reached out to the Bears. They've inquired about the number one overall pick. So here's where my mind goes. If the Colts don't make the deal for the number one overall pick. Think of the scenarios here, Dane. What if you're Lions? What if the Carolina Panthers? What if the Raiders? They make a move. They trade up to number one overall. Then what for the Colts? Think about that what if. If anybody trades up except for them to get that number one overall pick. It's not like Houston's going to do a divisional rival any favors. If the Colts then wanted to move up to number two, to at least get one of the top two quarterback prospects. So the Colts run the risk if they don't move up to number one. They're probably looking at the number three quarterback prospect at best, if that's the scenario, right? Do you trade up for one of these QBs? And that's why I'm so interested and anxious to talk to our guy, JJ. Yeah. I just I don't know enough about these QBs doing part because I don't think my Lions need a QB. Really? They're set with Goff? I think they're they're set. They're set for at least 2 years. Um I just don't know that we have a game changer in the draft. And that's just too hard to tell. Maybe Jimmy knows. <laughs> we'll wait till Jimmy he gets back. He's looking for adapters. He's setting up the gym cam. He's, doing. he's setting up the gym cam. You got to have a gym cam. But that's what I think also is there isn't a can't-miss quarterback in this draft, and you're making a move as if there is. Right. You know what I mean? Right. If you're the Colts and move from four to one, if you're the Lions and move from, where are they at, six? You move up from six to one. You're basically saying this guy is as close to a can't miss as you can get. It's worth doing it. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that you look at it like that. I don't see can't miss with any of these guys. They might pan out. They yeah. might be franchise quarterbacks, one or multiple guys. But I don't see can't miss written over anybody. And that's the type of move you have to make. And, and what are we talking about? Are we talking about a guy that comes in in year one and does does some Patrick Mahomes type stuff? No, no, I don't think or that would happen. Projecting out, and that's the thing. Like, we're still talking two and two or three years away, right? Yeah, I think you're hoping. Listen, let's say it's Bryce Young. He's the most NFL ready guy, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Rookie year, though. I mean, think about think about uh, Trevor Lawrence with Jacksonville. He was the best prospect since Andrew Luck. I have I, sorry, I have to whisper Andrew Luck to whisper it around. <laughs> and he was rocky his first year. That wasn't no. all Urban Meyer. No, it's going to be rocky. I think if it is. the Colts, whomever trades up, gets Bryce Young, I don't expect it to be a work of art year one. It's hard in the NFL. Right, just hit the ground running. Yep. But it's not so much about year one. It's is this a difference making franchise quarterback? Right. And 
I don't know that you got one here. Again, that you just, you're betting as big as you can to move up in the draft, knowing the price tag. It's going to be a lot. I've seen some of these mock drafts where it's like, the Colts move up to number one for a pick swap in like a second rounder. It's like, Mm. are you serious right (laughs) now? Think about this. I don't think this is just a smokescreen from the Bears. Right. I I believe this one. I think think You think Shefty's telling the truth. I think that this is a non-BS assessment. I'd agree. Yeah, there are teams that are looking to move up to number one because you got to have a quarterback. You got to have a QB in today's NFL. Gots to. So, yeah, I think that they fielded numerous calls. And uh, I'm so interested to see how it works out. But that was the thing I was thinking of driving in today beyond being mad at slow guy left lane. Slow guy left lane. Yeah, was what if a team other than the Colts moves up to number one? The Colts then can't move up to number two with the Texans. The Texans are going to be like, we're not trading with you guys. Great, we're going to trade with you so we get to see, what, C.J. Stroud? Mm -hmm. For who knows, maybe the next 10 years if he's the real deal? No, thank you. Mm -hmm. So if the Colts don't move to one, they're probably looking at the third best prospect at best. And in that case, I say get an offensive lineman (laughs) and trade and get you a veteran QB. Let's go down that. Hey, the Lions did get it. Derek Carr they got the in number one right offense away. in the league. <laughs> trade for Jared Goff. Well, trade for someone of that caliber. <laughs> there you go. All right, J.J. Stankovitz, our guy from Colts.com. He's joining us right around the corner. Uh, how many hard-hitting Lions questions are you going to shoehorn in there, Dane? Well, Jimmy has encouraged me to ask several. <laughs> our audience loves Lions questions, apparently. <laughs> Yes, and you can see on the gym cam, <laughs> thumbs up, exactly. Yes. You know, f- he, he put up five fingers, five minimum. Reevaluating a lot of life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, man. He's like a son to me. <laughs> J.J. Stankovitz around the corner from Colts.com, talking some NFL. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'll tell you what. If I'm in a bad mood, just play NFL Films music, Dane. Oh, I'm gosh. back. I'm back. You know? Steve Sable, his voice is like Don Fisher. So soothing. Could be like, man, I I lost my job. My dog died. Jimmy could be like, I got some NFL films music over here. I'd be like, you know what? Thanks, Jim. I'm back. Gosh, this guy. Jimmy's becoming the real MVP of this group here. He is not that uh, he wasn't. He's Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Man of the people. Today is what he's doing over here. He's more like Pamela Anderson. (laughs) He's fixing headphones. And he's eating cashews. Jimmy, did you have calls. some of my cashews? No, I did not have any of your cashews. I, I was mistaken. I'm sorry. He did not eat cashews, but he, he did leave the room for a little bit. He I, did. What'd you do, Jimmy? Yeah. Did you sneak I out? I made things happen. That's what I did. Snuck out to the <laughs> candy I, I, machine. I, I got solutions for this group is what I did. <laughs> I'm Brian No, He's Dane Five here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Let's welcome in J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com, also PA announcer. For the Colts joins us here on the fan. JJ, I'm sure you heard the hot gossip slash reporting from Adam Schefter over there at ESPN says that the Bears are fielding numerous calls for the number one overall pick. So I ask you today, use the Stankovitz crystal ball here. Which team do you think ultimately ends up with that number one overall pick? First of all, uh, great to talk to you again, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, been, you guys, uh, you guys have a history. We go, way, we go way back. I was doing yeah. local radio in Portland. JJ used to 
come on the show. Why'd you look at me like Portland, that? Oregon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dane Fife looked at me, JJ. He looked at me like he smelled something foul, like Portland. <laughs> 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 Back in the days when I covered Notre Dame, I would That's go right. on your show. It was fun. Anyway, you asked me a legitimate question. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think sitting here right now, if I'm if I'm putting a crystal ball in it, I'm still going to say it's the Bears mm. uh, making that first overall pick. I just it's so early in the process. I don't know if the Colts or the Texans or the Panthers or the, the Falcons, whoever view this class as one where you're going to give up significant draft capital to get the guy you think is the best in the class. And the, the point there is what's the difference between the number one and number two quarterback in this, in this class? Is it a, a significant gap to where you're willing to part with a future first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick? Or is that gap small enough where you say, you know what, if we wind up with the second-best guy or even the third-best guy on our board, that is better than giving up a lot of assets to go get the number one guy. Those are the questions that I have. Um, I think we'll probably have a clearer picture coming out of this weekend and then when pro days start in March. But for right now, I think I'm, I'm going to sit with chalk and say the Bears make that pick. It makes me think, JJ, the what-if scenarios for the Colts. Because I'm thinking if there is a team that moves up to number one that isn't the Colts, well, they're probably going to move up to number two. Why would the Texans help them out as a divisional rival? So you're probably looking at the number three quarterback prospect at that stage. And I like where your head is at where you're thinking, hey, how much difference is there between the top guy, the second guy, the third guy? In that scenario, do you think – and Chris Ballard and company, they know this. Do you think that urges them to move up to number one more, thinking of the what-if scenarios of if it's another team moving to number one who's not us, we're probably looking at the number three QB here. Who says the Texans are taking a quarterback at number two in that scenario? Well, they might not, but I don't know that they would trade down and want to face the quarterback that the Colts draft at number two for 10 years if it's the real deal. What if they think Jalen Carter can terrorize that quarterback for the next 10 years? I mean, the, he was the, ready for your playing, question. He's been listening. <laughs> JJ, you've been we're listening. Playing the, we're playing the what if game here. I mean, is it a slam dunk that the Texans take a quarterback? No. I don't know. I don't think I so. I mean, especially if, well, I mean, we don't know how other teams are going to stack their boards, right? What if Houston stacks their board and say they, they have Bryce Young as the, the far and away best quarterback in this year's draft? And another team that's not the Colts trades up to number two or to number one, excuse me, and drafts Bryce Young. And the Texans are sitting there being like, okay, well, we think Jalen Carter or Will Anderson's a Hall of Fame player, mm-hmm. and we don't really like any of these other quarterbacks. So let's kick it down the road for another year and keep building up our roster. Or, or here's another fun scenario what if the Texans pass on a quarterback at number two, and then with that 12th overall pick, they trade back into the top five to go get another quarterback? to go get their quarterback. There are so many different ways that this could go that are not necessarily, well, if the Colts sit at four, they're not going to get one of the two best quarterbacks in this year's draft. That There are so many possibilities, and right now, because it's so early, we can talk about all of them, and they're all legitimate. (laughs) JJ, Dane Fife here. 
How you doing? Good to meet you. All those things. Yep. All right. Here's I'm going to put you on the spot here. You, you got to give us an answer, okay? You ready? Okay. The Colts draft selection that will make J.J. Stankovitz the most happy is who? Uh, you're putting me on the spot, Dane, because I... I knew he right wouldn't now, do it. I knew he wouldn't do it. Oh, he's yeah, going to do it. I'm, I'm great at this. I got to say, I'm great at this. But the answer that... The answer that I give is like I, I don't know who that guy would be yet because whatever answer I give you, I want to know who would make you the happiest at number. Let's we'll just say number four. The guy who would make me the happiest is the guy, and this is such oh, a. Oh, he sucks! You're sick! You're the unbelievable! Guy, be the happiest is the guy who makes Shane Steichen the happiest. Oh my goodness! Ah, that's not a bad answer. Oh my god! It's not about I, well, him. I didn't ask about Shane Steichen. I asked about JJ Stankovitz. Colts.com. Come on. Jimmy. It's February 27th. The NFL draft will begin two months from today. I, I don't like I don't even know how much Bryce Young weighs right now. I, I haven't seen Anthony Anthony Richardson throw football. Ugh. I mean, you know, Will Levis has been he was hurt like his entire senior year. Can you know is CJ Stroud gonna show that yeah, I, you know, I can really take off and run. Um all right, hey, let me let me look. The, the the number four selection that'll make Dane Fife the happiest for the Colts is C.J. Stroud from the Ohio State University. You put him at the top of your list. Oh, this, yeah, this yeah. is I'm Big Ten through and through. Like, this is kind of what I was getting at too with that, you know, talking about the scenarios for the Colts and maybe why the Bears also stay at one. Is there's not. Going into this combine, there's not a Trevor Lawrence. There's not a Joe Burrow. There's not an Andrew fair, Luck. Fair. Yeah. And because of that, I think that lends itself to a lot of uncertainty going into this year's NFL draft. And it lends itself to a lot of scenarios where the Colts stay at four and can get their guy. They right. can get the guy they have conviction on. Or... You know, there's a scenario where the Colts say, yeah, we do need to go up because after seeing these guys at the Combine and and at their pro days, oh, man, we think, you know, we think Bryce Young or Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis. Like, literally, I've been doing this Mock Draft Monday series where I round up expert champions for the NFL draft. And literally every single one of those quarterbacks has been mocked to the Colts at number one overall or number four overall. (laughs) Some of them number two overall. So there, there are so many scenarios that can play out here. And I know I'm giving you guys a terrible radio answer, and I apologize profusely. <laughs> take for a stand. But I'm not ready to take a stand. You're asking me it's to too take soon. a stand with information right too now. Too soon. Too soon. I, I like you. that you're sticking to your guns by not taking a stand. Especially yet, after JJ. I've called out your manhood, and, and I have. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to think that I get some of that manhood back by, you know, sticking to my guns and being like, eh, it's too early to take a stand right now. Yeah. We should, yeah. Yeah. Play the fence. Stick to your guns. <laughs> <laughs> it's J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com, PA announcer for the Colts, joining us here on The Fan. How much do you think the price tag would be for the Colts to move from number four to number one? What are we talking about when you're weighing that decision and how much it would cost you in draft capital? If you talk to my friends in Chicago, they think it would be the number, the, the number four overall pick, the number 35 overall pick, the number 79 overall pick, Next year's first-round pick, Michael Pittman Jr. and DeForest Buckner. It's not going to be that. Uh, <laughs> but they're, you know, Bears fans are uh, they're, they're dreaming a little bit. I, I, think, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah 
who floated, I believe it was number four, number 79, and next year's number one, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're, you're probably going to have to give up a, a day two pick in this year's draft, whether that's 79 or 35. And then, you know, you're probably looking at next year's first because of the value of the player you're going to go get. The Bears know that this isn't the Cincinnati Bengals trading up to you know, number one to draft Kijana Carter. This is trading up to number one to draft a franchise quarterback. So they can ask for maybe a little bit more than some other trades up to number one we've seen in NFL history. But, uh, yeah, I think you're probably looking at next year's first plus a day two pick. But if, the Bear, if, if, if it turns out that the Bears don't have as much leverage as they thought, then maybe the price isn't that high. Maybe you're not in a bidding war with the Texans and the Panthers and the Falcons or the Commanders or whoever, and you're just you're like, you know what? It, it's, a, it's our pick or it's you stay at one. Decide what you want. Here's our offer. Maybe that's how it plays out. Yeah, and that's the thing going back to the Schefter report today where he says the Bears are taking numerous calls from numerous teams – this is the time of the year for a lot of bold-faced lies, you know? How much of this do you think is true? Do you think it's a bit of a smokescreen? Do you think it's embellished a bit? Or uh, do you believe it? Do you think there are numerous teams calling the Bears about the number one overall pick? And if they are, how much that could drive the price tag up? Yeah, I mean, here's, here's the thing. Calling the Bears about the first pick is one thing. Yep entertaining serious conversations that have gone well down the road into draft compensation is a completely different other thing. Totally. I mean, I am sure there have been a number of teams that have called the bears about the number and overall pick. I am sure there have been a number of teams that have called the bears about trading for Justin Fields. Does that mean either of those things are going to happen? Probably not. One of them might, none of them might. And there are just this, this point of the calendar, the NFL calendar these like two weeks before uh, free agency starts, it is just rumor season. And I cannot wait to see all the rumors that come out uh, next week when you start hearing the, you know, the trickles out, the, the, the articles of overheard at the combine, which was, I was talking to an agent and we were both seven Bud Lights deep at prime at two o'clock in the morning. And <laughs> I heard that, you know, that, that you're going to he, hear a lot of those reports in the next couple of weeks. Who's the most obscure player that you've learned about while we we're getting closer and closer to the draft here? So uh, one guy I'm I'm interested to talk to uh, is a wide receiver from South Alabama who is not on a lot of people's radar, but he's on the radar of a pretty important person uh, here in the history of the Indianapolis Colts. Jalen Wayne, he is Reggie Wayne's nephew, is going to be at the NFL Combine testing this week. Uh, I'm excited to go. I'm going to go try to talk to him during one of the media availability sessions and, you know, talk to him about growing up with Reggie Wayne as his uncle and what he's learned from him and, uh, you know, just kind of pick his brain on on having a Hall of Fame caliber, should be Hall of Fame wide receiver as your uncle when you are trying to make it in the NFL as a wide receiver. I like that. Hey, JJ, um, I made the suggestion to the group here um, – Maybe the Colts should just bag this quarterback draft, go out and get them some offensive linemen, and uh, trade up tra- or trade or just find a free agent like my Lions did. Uh, 
Is that a uh, buy or sell from you? Uh, right now, I- I'm not selling it. Thank you. Um, just because, just because, Dane. I mean, again, we're we're two months out, and maybe you know, the Colts stack their board, and they're like, you know, we don't think any of these guys is the right guy. I mean, how many times has Chris Ballard said it's about getting it right? It's not about just getting a guy. It's about getting that pick right. And this early in the process, you know, maybe there's a, a scenario in which the Colts stack their draft board and the highest quarterback on it is eighth, and they say, yeah, you know, we really don't want to reach for one of these guys. That That is a possibility. It's far more likely that the Colts draft a quarterback, but Again, I, I, the, the whole point, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying the Colts are going to trade out a four. They're not going to take a quarterback. I'm saying right now at this point in the calendar, you have to entertain all these possibilities. If, you, if, if the guys back in the, the Colts draft room right now are pigeonholed into this is the only way we can do this, that's how you reach for a guy, and that's often how you miss on a guy. I think that you, know, you, you have to entertain all those possibilities. You have to flesh them all out and then project how they would play out. Again, it is much more likely that the Colts will draft a quarterback. But it is not, at this point, on February 27th, no one can say that is 100% what's going to happen. JJ, you think that the Colts are in a position where they can be honest with themselves? Meaning this, let's just say Chris Ballard and Steichen, they do their quarterback evaluations, and they say, you know what, if we're being brutally honest with ourselves – we don't see a guy that's as close to can't miss as you can get where we feel comfortable trading all of this compensation to move up to number one to get the guy. So we're going to stay here at number four overall. If the board goes a certain way, you know what? We're not going to reach because you know as well as I do, if Chris Ballard goes out and gets a veteran quarterback and it's basically a bridge guy, it's not like the franchise dude going forward, I mean, he's out of chances here. Can he be honest with himself not going with the rookie quarterback if he knows that's his best chance of keeping his gig going forward? Well, I think his best chance of keeping his gig going forward is winning. Uh, ah. And if if he looks at this, this draft class and says, you know what, none of these, uh, we aren't going to win with any of these quarterbacks, then – He's not going to draft one to appease the fan base. Jimmy shaking his head over there. Jimmy agrees. What he thinks is going to be right for the Indianapolis Colts. And if if he believes that I'm going to do this and I'm going to get fired, well, it sounds like (laughs) in this scenario that he also believes if he does the other thing, he would get fired. So, (laughs) I mean, you're kind of, you know, in this scenario, which I don't think is, is one that really exists here, it's just he's going to do what is best for this franchise. And what is going to get this franchise back to the level of winning that they need to be at for him to keep his job? But he's also not the thing with Chris is he's not he's not someone who is obsessed with keeping his job. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep my job. He is obsessed with doing whatever it takes for the Indianapolis Colts to win football games. Hmm. And I think that you know talking about him being honest and this team being honest, I think last year you really have to be honest with yourself after you go four twelve and one and you, you fall short of expectations in a way that we have not seen around this franchise in a really long time. You really need to be honest with yourself and honest with how you evaluate players and, and how you stack your draft board and, you know, what your coaching styles are. 
those are all discussions that have happened in this building and are, are going to be incredibly important come draft day when you're making decisions that are going to impact the direction of this franchise, not just for the next five years, but maybe for the next 10 years, if you get it right. Yeah, and they beat my Lions in a scrimmage, which I wasn't happy about, the, did the Colts. So, J.J., are there some veterans out there, Aaron Rodgers included, some veteran QBs out there that the, you think would be good fits for the Indianapolis Colts? I, I don't see if, – if the Colts go that route – and by the way, I mean, whatever if, – if the Colts are going to take a rookie quarterback – in, in this year's draft, they still might go out and sign a veteran free agent. Right. Um, but I don't think you're seeing the Colts playing in that deep end of the of the pool of Aaron Rodgers, you know, even in that Derek Carr world. I think, you know, you might see the veteran bridge-type quarterback come in, uh, which I think you might need anyway. I mean, look at, look at how many teams have – signed a veteran quarterback and then gone and drafted one in the top five over the last couple of years. That's a pretty common occurrence for teams to do that, where you say, all right, at the very least, if we go sign player X and he can start for a, a week or a, not a week, a year for us, um, or even a couple of weeks, half the year, while we get our rookie quarterback acclimated to our offense, up to speed of the NFL, le- you know, teaching him how to read NFL coverages and diagnose things, that's going to benefit the overall development of this quarterback. Or it also informs you to say, you know, if we sign this guy, yeah, we're going to have a functional quarterback who can lead a functional NFL offense for a year, and then we might be able to kick this quarterback thing down the road if we don't like any of these guys this year. So it it gives you options. Going and signing a veteran gives you options or just having that, that veteran who you can have start and be an operationally functional quarterback uh, gives you a lot of options. So if the Colts in March go and they, they sign that guy or they keep one of the veterans on their roster, um, I, I'm not going to be surprised by that, and I don't think that would be a sign the Colts are not going to take a quarterback. But, again, it gives you those options. Yeah, and I feel like we have that going on here. in the, You're not in here, J.J., but in this office right now we have Jimmy, who would be Joe Montana, for the 49ers, and I would probably be the young understudy and Steve Young, and then we have Bill Walsh. Who would I be? Like Tim Rattay? You're Bill Walsh. I'm Bill Walsh. Okay, yeah. I like. But that. that's kind of what we have going. But you could you could see that scenario uh, with the Colts this year, perhaps. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just I couldn't move on of thinking Brian was yeah. going to say he's I, Jim Duncan Miller. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yes. I, I do want to ask you though, real quick, about my Detroit Lions. Um, there's no Barry Sanders in the draft. Um, they've lost T.J. Hawkinson in the you know the, the, he's no longer with them. Do you see them get going after a tight end or their defense is horrendous? Um, I'm just wondering uh, what you think about my Lions, real quick. I don't know if there's any team that's better positioned to add talent this year than the Detroit Lions. Ooh. Now you're talking my language. Go on. The, the 16th <laughs> overall pick, coming off a season where they ended with a lot of momentum. They don't need to get a quarterback, but they can if they want. Um, it's a, Oh, boy. I, what makes J.J. Stankovitz happy? The Detroit Lions <laughs> first pick. I got I to gotta, I gotta tell you, Dane. Let's see if he's got are, it. There aren't many fan bases that Suck. have more hope, more deserved hope than the, <laughs> than the Lions right now, which is like a weird thing to say because it's still the Lions. 
Except Brad Holmes, really sharp general manager. Dan Campbell, really sharp head coach. They keep both of their coordinators, who are on a lot of people's head coaching short right. and Ben right. Johnson and Aaron Glenn. And that offense, like, it was, it was one of the best offenses in the NFL last year. And by the way, you're just going to add Jamison Williams back to it. That's right. like Sam having three first-round picks this year. Hmm. So, man, I, I love what they're doing up there in Detroit. And, yeah, their, their defense needs some more talent, but they got a really sharp coordinator in Aaron Glenn. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson is looking like a star. The you know the the kid they drafted out of Illinois, the safety is a really good player. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there's a lot of things, good things going on in Detroit. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they go and they win the NFC North next year. Yep. What, what position do they take? I'm sorry, I just <laughs> I, I, what position? What position oh, do they take with their first if pick? If you're sitting at six and things go the way you want, and you could add. A kid like uh, like Tyree Wilson, the defensive yeah. end from Texas Tech, and you pair him with Aiden Hutchinson yeah. for the next wow. You six just years. you seem so sure on that. Gosh, I wish you were. I wish you knew what the Colts should do. I I, I feel it's a, a lot a lot easier when you don't have a need at quarterback. No, I understand. I'm 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 needling you. JJ, I got to say, man, I think it's bad form for Dane to ask you about his team that has nothing to do with this area. No. Uh, how about my Irish, though? How about Notre Dame this year? How many wins for the Irish? Oh, boy. I, Brian, my, my time covering Notre Dame ended in 2016. There's, like, no one left. <laughs> well, because now that like, Tommy Reese is gone, like I don't know anyone there anymore. Translation, he could uh, care less about the Notre Dame <laughs> fighting Irish football team. Translation, how about eight wins? I don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Oh, dagger. Hoping better he, than eight. He Hoping came at you. Eight. No. JJ, good stuff, man. Thanks for rolling with us, and uh, we'll catch you soon, man. Thank Always you, JJ. Enjoy it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. Yep, see for you. sure. JJ Stankovitz, Colts.com, PA announcer for the Colts. Man, you were needling him there, Dane. Needling. I like needling. it. Needling. Needling, we use that word. I it's pressing him. I, pressing. I I needed him to take I need a stand. Answers. I got. I do respect him for standing firm on. I don't know what the Colts are going to do. He was. <laughs> I'm just not sure. But he makes a good point. There's just no clear cut standout. Uh, LeBron James type, nah. Tony Baselli uh, type draft picks out there. It's a tough spot. It's a tough spot to be in. But we got to get to that next here, Dane. Honestly. Can the Colts be honest with themselves? I really want to get into this because I'm not sure they can be. But we'll get into that coming up next. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. It's 903.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife here on The Fan. Here's the question, Dane. Can the Colts be honest with themselves? Now, let me set this up a little bit here. Okay. If you look at the scenario here, they need a quarterback badly. I would argue they need a young quarterback, specifically a rookie quarterback badly because we've gone down this road again and again and again and again with veteran quarterbacks. So I don't think that the Colts are in the mindset to rush out and get another veteran quarterback. Now, here's the rub, though. If the Colts are being completely honest, maybe their assessment, maybe, is that there isn't a quarterback that's can't miss where we should go up aggressively to the number one overall pick knowing it's a heavy price tag. That might be their honest assessment. 
But can they be honest with themselves, knowing full well that if they go back into the veteran quarterback market and get a guy like, I don't know, they get Jimmy G for a year, they get Garoppolo for a year. Like, is Chris Ballard going to survive that year? I, I don't care who you are. That has to enter in your thinking to some degree is, am I going to get run out of town? Maybe Ballard thinks I'm good enough where, and I've been successful enough evaluating talent. I can land on my feet elsewhere. I'm going to do what's best for the Colts organization. But I ask you, can Ballard be 100% honest with himself when he's evaluating quarterbacks, knowing if he goes the veteran route, it is not going to be taken kindly at all? And if he's looking at Jimmy G coming off a broken foot, knowing like this is a stopgap, he might not even be that good. Can he stay disciplined enough to not get a rookie quarterback if he thinks it's the wrong move. I think it's I think it was risk reward with Matt Ryan and I think it'll be risk reward again um if they take a veteran and it what I mean by that is you are taking a big risk based on maybe age, based on maybe your offensive line, but I also think a veteran QB gives you the best chance to win now. And we live in a world where you have to do that. You have to win now, or you have to show major improvement in most cases. Uh, I loved what JJ said. Basically, you cannot worry about a press winning the press conference if you're in the Chris Ballard situation. I believe that. What you have to do is you have to get this one right. You have to be able to put your head on that pillow and say, I drafted or traded for or got us a damn good quarterback. Mm -hmm. And you have to own it. And you have to, every day, you got to make sure people understand what's, what's, how this is going to unfold with the notion that it can always change in an instant based on injuries, based on schedule. But you have to get this one right I don't know if that was the case last year with Matt Ryan I don't know mm-hmm. I was a Lions fan <laughs> I'm a Colts fan now <laughs> die hard die hard die hard but you have to get it right whatever you do in the QB situation gotta get it right something that stands out to me think about this the Colts are basically the opposite of the Jets where you think about their recent histories. Okay, we, j- we went over the Colts where it's been veteran guy, veteran guy, veteran guy, hasn't worked out, hasn't worked out. So their fans are clamoring for a rookie. The Jets have done the exact opposite. They've had Zach Wilson, top three pick, number two overall. They had Sam Darnold, top three pick. And they haven't worked out. Right. So their fan base is clamoring for a proven veteran. It's like right. the yin and the yang. They're complete opposites. And uh, I find that to be really interesting. So could the Jets, if the Jets are being 100% honest, and they're like, you know, Bryce Young's the guy, or whoever is the guy, but our fan base is going to revolt if we go all in and draft another rookie. <laughs> we we got to get a veteran. We got to get, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers, Derek Carr, somebody. Brett Favre, like they did, right? Get him out of mothballs. thought that was... You know? Red Favre 2.0. But that's what I find really, really interesting is the recent history for these teams in the draft. The Jets' recent history with rookie quarterbacks is the polar opposite 
right. as the Colts' recent history with yeah. veteran quarterbacks. Yep. It's almost like making a coaching change. You see this all the time, too. If you have crashed and burned with the the fiery guy, it's like, let, let's let's get somebody that's a little more even keel. Or the yeah. opposite. We've yep. got the even keel guy. Let's get some guy with some fire. He's yep. got some punch to him. Yep. I think it can work the same way with quarterback evaluation. So I just don't know. I don't know if the Jets and the Colts, if the Jets are saying we should go rookie, do they? Yeah. If the Colts are saying, you know what? We should go veteran. Do they do that based on right. their recent history? Well, I like to go back to 2016. The Denver Broncos had a guy, a veteran QB, oft injured by the name of Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. And I think they won the Super Bowl, Jimmy, 2016. Beat the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl. I I just think in a world of we've, we're going to win now, I can see easily like what J.J. talked about. You get a rookie, but you get a proven vet, maybe Jimmy G, maybe Rodgers. I mean, I, I don't think the Colts franchise is one that's not attractive. I mean, they're, they're not going to pull an Eli Manning and say, hey, I'm not going to go. I think this is a storied franchise. I think it's a good enough, trusted franchise where you feel like you're going to be taken care of as a player. And a fan base, not like the Jets fan base. These fan base, the Colts fan base, it's an outstanding fan base, pretty even keel. We don't have a lot of nut jobs that will understand and give this thing time whether it unfolds the first three or four games, they'll give you a couple, three, four games to get everything in place because they understand it, just like basketball. Pretty good sports fan base here in this town. But I like the idea, as I think about it more, maybe of getting a – I love C.J. Stroud. I'm a Big Ten guy. I love it. I don't like independent schools. I don't like schools like that. Uh, Anyone I love come to mind? <laughs> really against Army or uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii? I got a big homer against Hawaii tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, man i uh, I can't wait to see how it unfolds for the Colts because think about if you're Ballard, you just have to be obsessed with what you're doing with your top pick. Mm-hmm. Are you making an all-in trade to get a guy? Are you going? Are you even entertaining the veteran route? I mean, like he says, you got to get this right, yeah. and it is not a clear-cut scenario. Not to at us. All. Not to Jimmy. It's not to us. That's you know, and that's where I guess if if you're if you're Chris Ballard, you got to roll with yourself, man. You and and he may know. He may know what he wants. He may have made one of those calls to the Bears. But if he calls me, I'm going, take CJ, dog. Take CJ. Would you move up to number one overall to take Stroud? Yes. You would? That's gutsy by me. That is a very uneducated statement by me. <laughs> That's not a very it. fan-like statement. Um, I think it's really smart. Not, not, I mean, not Stroud as a prospect, but the idea of trading up. If you believe in your guy and you're putting the general manager hat on, you cannot afford to miss out and be stuck with – your hands out begging for help at four when your guy went at one because somebody else traded up for you. I'm not saying the whole farm. We had David Kaplan on last week. He said similar to what JJ cited, which was Daniel Jeremiah, your pick this year, obviously at four, maybe a second or third rounder this year and your first next year. If that's what the bears want, that that is pretty much standard market procedure to move up that kind of level in the draft. You'll go back to last four or five drafts. That's a lot. I can stomach it. That's fine. It's a lot. If you're getting 
a franchise cornerstone difference-making quarterback, it's completely worth if it. If you now. believe in him. Again, I'm not saying do it just to do it, but Dane believes in Stroud. He's being general manager right now. Yeah. I think that's a smart decision. Don't let him get scooped up by somebody Dane Fife, else. GM. Do you believe in Stroud that much no. for that price tag? <laughs> I, mean, I that's not that's not an absurd price tag. <laughs> like go go back and look at what other teams have paid to get Josh Allen to get Patrick Mahomes. Like, granted, they moved up further spots, but when you get into the top five, it's magnified because of the high leverage situation that are in those picks. I that, think that the Colts, I think they're closer to what happened with the Niners to move up to get uh, Trey Lance in terms of the price tag. That was basically three first round picks mm. and a third rounder to go from 12 to number three. Like, when you get up to the number one overall pick, it, it's going to be a price tag along those lines, I feel like. But what I'm saying, the cost I laid out, which is what David Kaplan said and what Daniel Jeremiah said, is not that. It's less than that. I don't think it's going to be that, though. They can lay it out no, all they I, want, I, but, I, I, but, but there, <laughs> it's going to be more. What I'm saying is the reason I trust... I'm signing David Kaplan. So you're saying you the, you trust him more than me, is what you're saying, Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy. are you saying it's going to cost three first-rounders? I don't know that anybody's going to trade three first-rounders to move up with Chicago. I think that it's more likely to be closer to that than closer to what you're talking about. Which I said two first-rounders and a second or a third this year. I think year. it's going to be heavier. I think it's going to be a okay. heavier price tag. I do. And that's where it gets really tricky. Yeah. Is... Even the price tag you're laying out is significant. Yeah, I'm not trying to downplay it, but that's two first-rounders and a second or a third somewhere to me is not an over-evaluation if you believe in the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I would would probably hang tight. I, I would roll the dice and hope that Stroud or Young are there because those are that's the top of everybody's board. I don't really have a lean one way or the other. Stroud swayed me back in to be 1A and 1B with his performance against Georgia. You feel like I've swayed you kind of been the tipping point with Stroud? If anything, no? it hurt his stock. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. Jimmy Cook, everybody. Somebody cut his mic off. Jimmy, cut your mic. You're in charge. Is that Ballard calling in, asking if Dane could go on the national airwaves? Consulting fee? Consulting fee, Dane Fife with the Colts? They can fall to the Colts? Is that what's going on over here? Hey, CJ Stroud to the Colts at four. I'm sticking with it. They don't need to trade up. That's what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to be around at number four. You know, the other thing is the wild cards. You're hearing all this stuff about Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. Who's the quarterback that a team just gets infatuated with? And reaches for we've seen that many times in NFL drafts so I won't completely rule it out that Stroud is somehow sitting there at number four I highly doubt it though I, I think Richardson's very appealing too. having played in the SEC um, he certainly can can move he's mobile and uh, I like the idea of that too He's got the frame. His accuracy is the only thing that scares people. Yeah, uh, he's. But they me, said that about Josh Allen. Exactly. And it was fixed. Very, very comparable to Josh Allen. Josh Allen had the frame, didn't have the footwork, didn't have the accuracy, and now he does. Like poof, presto, it's there. I just i I hate the idea, and I love the guy. I love Bryce Young. I'm not afraid to say it. I would not feel comfortable at all trading up to get that guy hoping he is my franchise cornerstone that is a heavy price tag for a guy that's not even six feet tall Hmm. and is a far cry nfl standards from 200 pounds that is not a good recipe for long-term success in my mind (laughs) can we for real quick i want your thoughts on this because you've hammered the most about the height (laughs) and about the other it's not like he's playing in the whack 
Like he's playing in the SEC. Like those are grown men still. I understand it's wildly different than hey, the NFL. Barry Sanders was five eight, pal. But, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, like I know it's not comparable to a starting NFL defensive front, but it's as close as you're going to find in the college level. You've struck a nerve with James. Here. I just like I, I don't get it. Like I do get it because it, it makes sense. I'll introduce sense. you to a guy named Tua Tungavailoa who played for the same freaking team yep. and who's yep. gotten pounded into the ground time and time again. Are you more concerned about because you mentioned he's 200 pounds. It's, you're more concerned about durability. Yeah. I'm very concerned and weight, about durability. And uh, I'd agree with him on that, Jimmy, just because you're not that that's cornerback stuff sure. not quarterback stuff yeah and when you're getting hit by 350 close to 400 pounds without looking and you're 200 pounds man it's not good it's tough you ever been hit like that you ever been hit by a truck jimmy it's it's a case of nail meat hammer it's a yeah, car sure accident once yeah. that count <laughs> How Depends bad on how was you, it? Were you paying attention? Uh, I was paying attention. Were you the, uh, were you the hammer or the there nail? Was, there was a lady that was... I was the hammer. There was a lady that was you pulled were... over on the side of the... Uh, uh, they were doing <laughs> construction on 65, and the uh, medians were like kind of squished in to shorten the lanes. There was a cop on my left with lights on, so I was worried about him, and I looked over at him, and I looked back, and my mind had processed a car braking, but it was actually caution lights. There's nobody uh-huh. in the car, but she wasn't in the shoulder. She was in the middle of the lane, and hit her going like... 55. Wow. There's, there's that yep. left lane problem, yep. Brian. Yep. 55 direct impact. Yeah. yeah. She okay? Everything she was, like, oh, yeah, they were on the, they had hopped the okay. median. They, were, just, they were good. It was just empty me car. and the empty car. Yep. Did you ask her why she decided to park there? Uh, that, well, yeah, that was a question. <laughs> went, went along during the insurance claim, too. Yeah. It was, so, it was so you really don't got the full feel of hammer versus nail effect. You were the hammer. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. Bryce Young being the nail, but that was a good yeah. story. If we could interview that car, though. Yeah. You'd get great, <laughs> you'd get great context from that. Yeah. Insurance take care of that? I, it was both our faults, they said. Well, another, another were you story messed up day. at all? No, it was the middle of the day. Airbag City? Oh, oh I, I, I'm I mean, sorry. I thought <laughs> you meant like my faculties. No, I, I had a... I had a, I had a uh, I've been smoking and drinking. I, I, I had a scrape on my arm, but no, airbag was good. Yeah, I was fine. Wow. 55. It's like I just tripped and fallen. It was, it was fine. Yes. Good for See, you. Jimmy, Jimmy would fare well in the NFL, apparently. <laughs> I don't know Built like that. a truck. If we could get Bryce Young to be built like your Jimmy. car... He'd be rolling. And built like Jimmy. He'd be or viewed Jimmy. as a generational talent. Yeah. And you wouldn't be chastising me for the <laughs> amount of draft stock I'd be willing to give up to get him. Hey, man, I hope he pans out. I do. I just, I would not make an all-in move for Bryce Young is all I'm telling you. Would not go all-in for that guy. That's all. But you'd do it for Stroud? I wouldn't do it for Stroud either. Okay. I'm not going in all in for any of these guys. And we're establishing all in as the baseline of what? Multiple first round picks for all, you? All in, yes, right. All okay. in would okay. be a little bit saucier than two firsts and a second. Okay. I think it's going to be a little bit heavier than that. Okay. Well, particularly if there's competing bids, which is what Schefter's reporting. If there's multiple teams That's interested, yeah, they're going to be able yeah. to drive up the price and that changes your comfortability for yeah. what you want to give up. How, how long until there is a deal made? If somebody does move up to the number one overall I pick. I bet it's draft night. I would think it's sooner than later. Maybe. Think about the Trey Lance. I was trying to look that up before the show, but I was so consumed with slow guy left lane. I was in a fit yeah. of rage that I yeah. forgot to look it up. But I want to know when the Niners made the deal with the Dolphins to move up to number three overall. Because it was before the draft. It was a couple of weeks at least mm-hmm. before the draft that they made that deal. I wonder what the 
can you even make a trade before the new league year for the draft? I, I don't know what when you could do it. If you're just like, screw it, let's do it. Let's get the number one overall pick. Let's make sure we get it and nobody else does. Could you do that like today? We I don't got, know the answer to that. We got to do some crap. To, to your question, right? though, um, the trade was reported this for NBC Sports on March 26th, and the draft that year was April 29th. Okay, so, about so a month over away. a year out. Uh, yeah, over yeah. a month out, yep. That's that. The new league year, March 15th. I, I wonder that. I wonder if you could make a deal today. I would assume Prior it has to, to be after. I would assume it has to be after the league year. Maybe. Here, here's here, here's my research. Are you ready for this? Yeah. When you're playing Madden, you cannot make a trade until after the new league year starts. So that's without looking <laughs> well, up that's anything. True. That's just a guess that that would be the case. Absolutely, trade so, or you know, like we get the the free agency period. Yep. yep. You know, you can't officially sign someone yep. until the new league yep. year. I don't know that it pertains Maybe to Maybe you can agree in principle rumored, but I bet you can't. I bet it cannot go through officially until the league year starts. I feel fairly confident in that. Mm. What do you think the Bears leaked out those rumors for? So they can drive the price tag up. Get people talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Brilliant. We got many teams, many t- Our phone's ringing off the freaking hook Several. over here. Yeah. You got to do that. All right, coming up next, the women have figured it out. I think the men should also. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. It's 93.5, not 9035. And 1075, the fan. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife here on the fan. I need to know more about your musical preferences over here, Dane. You know, we're going to have to circle back to that. I know you're an Eric Church guy. I love an Eric Church. Clayton Anderson, local. Yeah. Clayton, I can, I can like that song. I. Who's that? Boston, Jimmy? Like Boston? You like Boston? I'm pretty flexible. Could you name a Fog Hat song? No. I couldn't either. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, By the way, Dane, the women have it figured out. So we go to the Iowa IU game yesterday. Iowa pulls it out. 1.5 seconds left. Caitlin Clark, buzzer beater. Just cash. Bang. Bang. Mike Breen style. Mm-hmm. Buzzer beater, they win. Here's the thing. In women's college basketball, you can advance the ball to half court. So IU got fouled. They made two free throws to take a two-point lead. Iowa has this dramatic final shot. Mm. Buzzer beater. They advance the ball to half court, a la the NBA. I would love to see that in men's college basketball. I didn't like that rule being in, in, incorporated yesterday. I did not like it. <laughs> I didn't like what they did in my Hoosiers, my Lady Hoosiers. Um, I thought IU played well enough to win. But to your point, I would love to see that rule in college basketball. Yeah. You'd be able to advance it to half court. You get more likely drama. Like, how many times do you see – remember the – I know you do. The famous Bryce Drew shot yes. for Valpo. How often do you see that type of execution? Or the Grant Hill pass to Christian Leitner, of course, very famous. How often do you see that compared to a pass that's airmailed, compared to a <laughs> shot that never gets attempted? No, just, you're right. I'd much rather see you inbounded yeah. at half court. Much more likely you see that type of buzzer beater and that type of drama. And it's coming. It'll happen. I'm not sure when, but it'll happen sooner rather than later in men's college basketball. I I agree. I just I think it's a great rule for the game and for the fans, um, and it doesn't it doesn't alter the game by much. Yeah, 
I'm pro drama, Dane. Me too. That's what I'm getting Jack, at. I'm pro drama. You know? Yeah. Think about all the buzzer beaters we saw over the weekend. Uh, in that San Diego State game, the nightcap, that's a three-pointer. That's a buzzer beater. Yep. We did see the half-court shot Arizona State style. We would be taking that away. Um, but I, I, I would much rather see it at half court. I think you get much more of an opportunity for buzzer beaters. Well, my, my Michigan State Spartans, uh-huh. my coaches OLED Michigan State Spartans would have had a chance, a closer shot. They got the almost made the shot in regulation to beat Iowa, but they would have gotten an even better shot and perhaps would have beaten Iowa. Think about – um, if you're watching any NBA this weekend, the oh. the three quarter shot by Embiid, if they had a timeout, maybe he hits a better shot. Maybe he hits a thirty footer if they get a shot at the uh, at the buzzer right there. I'm I'm all for moving it to half court. I I don't know if that point was confusing. Of course, you can move it to half court in the NBA if they had a timeout. But the point is, it's almost like college where he had to throw it three quarters of a court. Right. Right? Like, that's yep. sometimes what you're reduced to in the college game. Maybe we add more timeouts along with it so we get a better Embiid look. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll go no. No more timeouts. No, yeah, we're we're good enough. on the timeouts, I mean, right? Yeah. Take away a timeout, especially in the college game, because right now you're you're getting – you're missing – if there's a game following a game, I know you're it. missing the first 10 minutes of the game you now. You do. It's ridiculous. You miss a lot of it. And it's not even in overtime. No. You know, sometimes. No. It's like, yeah, hey, that game's on ESPN News. Yeah. It's like, cool, I'll catch it at the half. Right. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. We need to change that. Hey, we're trying to trim time off these baseball games here, Dane. You catch this? All that. You see uh, pitch clock violations? Jeez. Batting batters violations. They, they throw a strike onto the batter. This is amazing. Right. If you're not ready as a hitter with eight seconds left, automatic strike. So it happened in this Braves-Red Sox spring training game. So where we're at, we're at the bottom of the ninth inning, okay? Tie game, bases loaded. 3-2 count for the Braves. Our man Cal Conley, he's he's in the batter's box. Only problem was he wasn't ready when he needed to be. This is how it sounded on Nesson. Unbelievable, huh? That's where we're at. I'll tell you, I don't know who the announcers were, but they didn't seem too keen to that new rule. (laughs) They were Boston guys, so they were okay with it, I think. They got the the tie, at least. They didn't Uh, lose it. The excitement. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's why I'm not as upset about that, because in spring training, it's a tie. I mean, I'd still be mad about it, but if it was any other game... It, you're going to extras, right? Like it, it, it stinks, but right. it's extra dramatic there because I feel most bad for the fans, right? Yeah. Because you're just enjoying maybe your spring break or maybe you're a local there and, oh, we're going to get some extra innings, spring training. No, no, you're not. I like it. It's like, let's get, I, it, I would let's agree. get it going. I agree. You know, they've got, they've the games have gotten this long and that's played a role in it. A batter taking too long, a pitcher taking too yeah. long. 
let's keep these games under three hours, yeah, fellas. Same with football. I had a buddy of mine text me. He's like, he's a Red Sox guy, not that game. He did mention that, though. But he was like, yeah, it's the fifth inning right now. It's been going on an hour. I'm like, think about how many activities are going to be opened up on a Saturday if you're just Remarkable. watching baseball. And now you're just... That's why people oh, man, don't watch four. baseball. Well, yeah, that, again, that's why they did the rule change, yeah. It's a great rule change. Yeah. It is. It's a needed rule change. There are going to be some, some kinks along the way. You know, you got to like, emphasize it, which is what they're doing in yeah, spring training. This though. is the you best have scenario. To set the groundwork right now. This was a great scenario yep. for MLB that you had a game. You hear the boos in the background. Boo! Boo! We want to see the end of the game. That was great going forward. It's going to stick in your mind. You got to be ready. Got to adapt. It's a great it's a great game to set the standard in. <laughs> it certainly brought a lot of attention. It absolutely did. OK, we're going to keep the conversation going here. With Alex Golden. Let's get some Pacers into the mix here. I say this, Dane. Lose. Lose, lose, lose. <laughs> Keep losing. Lose more. Lose as much as possible. We'll see what Alex thinks about that. Coming up right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I hope you're having a great afternoon. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife here on The Fan. You catch any Pacers? This weekend, catch him uh, taking on the Orlando Magic. Were you in a IU hoops mode? I was in IU hoops mode. I was in uh, thirteen and nine year old daughter mode. Um, oh man, yeah, yeah, that's a major mode right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. It's less about Jordan Wara and more about uh, let's settle down, honey, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quit bullying me, nine year old. Yes, I can read. <laughs> Yes, I can add six plus six. No, I won't shut up. No, I won't go to my room. (laughs) You can't send me to my room. Uh, We welcome in Alex Golden, covers the Pacers. You might know him from the Setting the Pace podcast as well. Joins us here on The Fan. Alex, uh, welcome in here, man. I keep saying the Pacers should lose, 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 lose. I'm looking at the standings over here, as you well know. And uh, they're in danger of losing some ground uh, draft lottery-wise where you have a a few teams that are right neck and neck with them. They've got uh, one fewer loss than a lot of other teams, one less loss than a lot of teams here. I say lose out. Uh, What do you think about the Pacers? Should they be in tank mode? Smart decision if you're you're looking at trying to make this team better for the future. And I keep going back to what Kevin Pritchard had to say at his – post-trade deadline, uh, uh, post-game press conference, or press conference after the trade deadline. And, and basically what he said is, we don't want to be 8th, ninth, or 10th. You know, we don't, we don't want to be a, a first-round exit playing against separate teams. So while they've played good the last two games, and I know they beat the Magic, the Magic are struggling a little bit. I think that, similar to last year, long-term, I think you will see them uh, try to take some losses here towards the end of the season. And they'll, and they'll call it development, you know, but I think that positioning themselves for the better draft pick makes a ton of sense. Would you say that's a bad result? I'm just looking at the league standings right here. The Magic, they are 25-36. and 36. Pacers, 27-35. and 35. So would you argue that the Pacers beating the Magic on Saturday was actually a bad result for Indiana? Um, a little bit, but I think there's too many games left to really worry about that. The Magic have been playing a lot better than the Pacers have over the last 20-plus games. So I think that 
the Magic have been a very inconsistent team because they're, you know, they're young, they're up and coming, that kind of thing. And they've only been about a 500 team at home anyway. So I, I don't think it's the end of the world because there's a lot of tougher games on the schedule for the Pacers, I think, moving forward. And a lot of their home games are pretty tough. So Pacers have not been relatively good on the road. So I don't think they had won a road game since the Miami game that they had won uh, a couple of months ago in December. So to me, this was a, this was a kind of a necessary win just to kind of get them uh, out of their mental headspace of not being able to win on the road. But I don't think it's going to cost them too much in the in the standings in terms of uh, trying to get the better record. How far away do you think, Alex, we're away from the Pacers basically calling the dogs off? Like you, you got to have your best players not out there if they're trying to lose games and avoid being eighth or ninth in the standings, you know? Yeah, I, I would say there's 20 games left now. I think there's 22 before the break, and now they'll play two. So 20 games left, I would say. Last year, the Pacers ended on a 10-game losing streak. Don't be surprised if you start seeing – uh, some, you know, younger guys like Kendall Brown, who's in the G League, maybe even Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, getting more minutes towards the last, you know, eight to ten games of the year. I mean, they've got – I know they got Dallas twice coming up here. Tonight, uh, tomorrow they got Dallas. They got Dallas at home. They got Philly. They got Boston again. So, they got, they've got some tough games. So, I think probably the last eight games of the game, I guess, when you really start to see players get – uh, some time taken away from that are on, on the starting level, like a Buddy Hill maybe or a T.J. McConnell, and kind of develop some of your other guys. Are you surprised, Alex, that the NBA hasn't stepped in and done something about obvious tanking? Where I just compare it to the NFL, where Goodell has come out and he's like, if you're resting healthy guys at the end of the season, we might find you, we might take draft picks away from you. When it is obvious tanking and you're resting numerous uh really strong players. Are, are you, is it just surprising to you that the NBA hasn't stepped in and said, we're not doing this. It's a bad product. Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, they did put the lottery system in to try to avoid that. They added the play-in game to make teams try to be more competitive now because 10 teams will make the, the playoffs. I guess you could say four make the play-in, but uh, on both sides. So I think they've tried to adjust it. Obviously, they've adjusted the lottery odds as well, where the top three had the same percentage of getting the number one pick. But I just don't think there's a great way around it. Maybe they could do the whole finding thing. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's gotten better. But, I mean, go back to last year and just look at who OKC was trotting out there for, like, the last 15 games. And it was it was pretty abysmal. So, I think it's not a great product, but – Ultimately, I think with the season being 82 games long and, and that kind of thing, it's it's not the end of the world. Whereas in football, it's a lot different, only having 17 games now. So it, it's, it's a tough call in terms of what they can do ownership-wise and league-wise. But I think that it's gotten better with blatant thinking, but it's still going to be problematic moving forward. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. Alex Dane Fife here. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am tremendous, especially working in, with this group. It's uh, it's quite an electric group. Great group to work with. My question, uh, uh, NBA scuttlebutt for the related to the Pacers. Um, what do you think the Pacers have to do moving forward to get to that top five in in their their half of the league? That that will get yeah. him to get him to the to that spot the quickest. 
Yeah, so I think if you look at their the way their roster is built up now, I mean, we've uh, before they traded for uh, Jordan Wara, the only the only forward they actually had that was above six foot six was O'Shea Brissett, and he was playing maybe you know eighteen minutes a game off the bench. I think in today's NBA, you got to have long, athletic three and D type of players, and you know guys that are like six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine. And right now, if you look at the Pacers starting lineup, it's four guards and Miles Turner. Mm-hmm. And they're just really heavy on they're really heavy at the guard position. And I think while they have some really talented guards that have been playing well and they've been playing, you know, out of position for a little bit, they just they can't do that and expect to be a, a serious hinder. So they just need what they call, you know, wing level players and there's there's a lot of wings in this upcoming draft and I think that's who they should target in the draft is a wing level player and it's something they just really haven't addressed. For whatever reason, maybe it's just because the price has been too expensive. It's been hard to get those type of players. But, you know, they've got a lot of centers. They've got like four or five. They can't even play them all. Had to release one just to make this trade work with the Bucks a couple of weeks ago and go to Bataze. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. But I think they just need to get some better, better defenders, especially ones that can guard, you know, one through four, potentially one through five. And that's why you heard their name linked a lot to a guy that you're probably familiar with. OG and an OB at Toronto. I mean, that's a, that's mm-hmm. the type of player they need, and they could use a couple of those kind of guys. Maybe a Jalen Wilson for, of Kansas in this upcoming draft, perhaps Grady Dick. Um, what what was the reason for bringing George Hill back? Oh, that that to me was a very simple thing. They were trying to uh, they wanted to take a, a flyer on Wara. They had ten million dollars in cap space, so basically they took on the money. To, to fill in their cap space to get three second-round picks. So second-round picks, you know, we saw a lot of them traded in this last deadline, so that's why George Hill is here. But I, I thought it was pretty cool that they gave George Hill the option. Uh, you can either stay here and be a veteran on this team and, you know, probably won't play a lot of minutes, or we can waive you and you can sign with a championship contender. And George said, I want to stay home. Wow. So I, I think that that's pretty awesome that a guy like that who has championship aspirations, who's been a really good player in the league for a long time, it does make sense, you know, why he would want to play somewhere else. But really cool to see a guy say he wants to stay home and be a mentor. So he's an expiring contract. It won't hurt through cap space moving forward. And I think just having an extra veteran like that in the locker room that's not going to be taking minutes away from the young guys is really special. And I think that's why they kept him instead of letting him go. You know, a lot of excitement about this Pacer team, at least a month ago, last time I was here. And I, I still am excited. I haven't watched them play that much lately. But my my whole thing, my question to you is, who's the leader of this team? In other words, going forward, thinking next year and years beyond, who would be the prototypical captain? You know, who would lead the locker room? You know, does, is it a star? Is it a guy like Buddy Heald? Who's the leader of this team in your mind? Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. It's Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton, when he was brought over here, they needed a leader, and he just took that by the reins. So he's the guy that's going to be the one out there rallying everybody. He's the point guard. He's a willing passer, and that's why I think this team's been so fun is his unselfishness to get other guys involved. That's why you're seeing Buddy Heald have a career year. Mathern having a great rookie season. Miles Turner having a great uh, a great career year as well. So Tyrese Halliburton, it all starts with him. But I think if you're looking at maybe a secondary leader, you know, 
Miles Turner has really stepped up and has been a big voice for the Pacers' young roster. And he's been with this organization now for eight years. So he's never been, you know, the go-to guy, the number one player on the team. But he's really stepped up in his leadership. And we've heard that from coaching, uh, comments from the coaching staff. We've heard that from other players as well. And then your veterans like George Hill, James Johnson, who they brought, uh, brought in. I think they've been really, you know, the centerpiece of getting this team uh, team-minded and focused instead of trying to play for one another, which we can see that happen sometimes with young teams trying to get their own numbers and not looking at the bigger picture of development for the entire team. But uh, Tyree Taliburn, it's hands down, he's the leader of this team moving forward, and that's great because he is the best player on the team as well. He's Alex Golden, covers the Pacers, joining us here on The Fan. You know, Alex, what's the smartest way to evaluate a team that isn't doing everything it can to win? Like, I'm just thinking of myself here where sometimes I feel like I fall for it when I'm like, they didn't defend as well as they should have or could have. And it's like, well, but they might not be trying to win every game. How how do you go about evaluating a team that might not be 100% all in to win games because you could step into a trap sometimes as if they are going all out? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I'll just say this. When it comes to tanking, you know, that's something that's like front office driven and mm-hmm. potentially coach driven. It's never player driven. Players are never going to play to lose games. You're not going to see a guy just purposely throw the ball out of bounds or not try on defense because, hey, we're trying to lose. Like, you're never going to preach that message to anybody. So I think that if a team's trying to lose, you know, that's from the, that's from the top down. But the players are out there trying to compete, compete their tails off and show that they belong because there's a lot of guys in this league that play on teams like this that are on two-way contracts, non-guaranteed contracts, and they're trying to prove and they're almost auditioning for, for a job, whether it's with the team they're on now or a team in the future that might want to sign them. So I think when you're looking at a team that's playing hard, it's, it's because they are playing hard. I don't think it's because they're just like fooling you there with their competitive level. No, I think it's just – there's a big difference in a talent gap when you're looking at a team, you know, that's got four or five guys on, you know, two-way contracts or 10-day contracts, that kind of thing, playing up against, you know, a, a team that's trying to make the playoffs. So it's just a talent level thing. But I, I don't, I've never seen a player that I can recall ever just try to throw a game for any reason. I know we're well away from the NBA draft, but it, it's, I got to talk to uh, about it because we're talking about maybe the Pacers losing games and trying to be in a better position come draft lottery wise. Is there anybody else besides Wembenyana and Scoot that you love in the upcoming draft if the Pacers are near the top of it? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, with all the controversy around Brandon Miller, you kind of have to just monitor that. But I think he's probably the third most talented in this draft right now. Uh, so if the Pacers could get someone like that, I mean, we talked about going after a wing-level player, you know, he's a guy like Paul George. So, you know, that's someone the Pacers had here for a while that really helped them. So I think if everything plays out okay and things really aren't as bad as they appear and Brandon Miller is there, he's someone I keep an eye on. But if you're going more of a safer route and don't want to have any controversy or any red flags on anybody, uh, Jarris Walker from Houston has looked really good this year, and he's a really – Nice, young, promising piece as well. He's ranked uh, mocked a lot in that four to six range. So I like him a lot. And uh, there's there's a lot of interesting players out there. I think Grady Dick has also been pretty 
uh, pretty fun to watch at Kansas as a freshman. I think he could really fit in the Carlisle system well. So depending on where they pick, they've got a lot of options here. But other than that, you know, it's it, it's tough. There's a lot of good players in this draft, and I think they just have to avoid going after a guard because if they get another undersized mm-hmm. player, it's just going to be problematic, I think. But uh, another guy that is a guard, but he's a little bit taller, is Anthony Black. I think he's another name, too, to keep an eye on that could fit this Pacers team as well. Hey, great stuff, Alex. Good hanging with you, man. We'll catch you soon. Hope you have a good day. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Doing a great job, and uh, I'll be listening. Thank you. Hey, did you hear that? Thank you, Alex. Yeah, very nice, Alex. Alex Golden covers the Pacers. Setting the Pace podcast as well. Mm. Some verbal dap, Yeah, that was big verbal dap. Yeah, Yeah, that was was nice. compliment. Very nice by him. You know, hey, Jimmy, you're all over the betting stuff. Can you not bet on in-game spring training? I just happened to peruse that. I'm like, look at this. We might have to look at the end game over with the Mets and Cardinals. It's on in the studio here. Can we not bet on that? You, we've talked about my level of degeneracy before, right? <laughs> it, it it knows no limits. But is, and I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna blame anybody in studio. But uh-huh. I've been running around like a chicken with the head cut off at times today. Oh, so I don't that, know. Is that because of an anybody? Is that I, I, is anybody seated to my left? I'm over not, I'm not gonna name no? names. No, I'm just gonna say there's only two names in the studio. I'm not gonna name names. Okay. I'll take it. Uh, but anyway, no, I don't know. Uh, it, it's so weird because every state and every book has different regulations for what you can and cannot bet on. Everything from the type of props you can offer to the type of games you can offer. Yeah. So um, perhaps, uh, I don't know. I, I was trying to look at XFL stuff the other day just to peek. I know we talked about it. I didn't for two reasons. One, I couldn't find it. And two, I just haven't had the time to flip on the XFL. We, we got to get it some spring training in-game action. We got to find on. some extra time for Jimmy. Yeah. We got to get that going on here. Uh, by the way, uh, we're talking about tanking, sort of like load management in a way. Mm-hmm. Just had Charles Barkley today. He said that load management is a huge issue and that Commissioner Adam Silver has gone too far protecting players, which is true. Uh, let me ask you this, Dane. Is Adam Silver... Oh, go in. Let's hear it. Is he too much of a weakling to be an NBA commissioner? He went in. <laughs> I might have to pull a JJ Stankovitz and it's just, walk uh, the tightrope. I, I don't know. You know what? I I would agree that I would agree with Charles Barkley, um, but I, I think it really comes down to the players' union. The players' union uh, they they've got too much juice, and it's overwhelming. It's overpowering. And so I think uh, the commissioner is, and I don't know for a fact, but I, I think that um, the commissioner is, is more of uh, experiencing, experiencing some puppetry more than anything. Yeah. More, more of like a figurehead than opposed to, as opposed to a David Stern. And I think right. it's the same way in, the, in Major League Baseball. I would love to know. And that's the best comparison yeah. because I was immediately thinking Goodell. And the best comparison is David Stern. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Stern <laughs> was still alive, still the commissioner, and all this load management stuff was going on? There's no way no. we would be where we're at today with that whole issue. No. Zero chance. No, and the same for the – I mean, the NFL – I mean, I guess it's, there's only 16 games. It's hard to – get away with load management unless you're out of the playoffs but there has to be some type of incentive yeah or some type of penalty they the nfl they greatly discourage tanking goodell has come out numerous times and he's like if you are resting healthy players 
at the end of the season. We'll dock draft picks. We'll fine you. I don't even know if they can actually do that. But that's what he throws it. He throws it out there. It's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. And you get the opposite with Adam Silver, man. It's just it's gone way too far with the tanking stuff and the load management deal. Uh, It's to me, it's blatant. Yeah, it's blatant. And it's too expensive for the average fan to come to a game and expect to see certain players and them not playing. I, I right. think at its core, it's it's BS. And I think when you think about things like that, people bringing their kids, spending $1,000 to bring their family to a game to see a specific player and he doesn't play because load management, it's that that would uh, lose. And that's, that's why they're struggling for fans. And look, I understand there are some times where if the team says, oh, he's got some back stiffness he's got he's got a calf injury he's nursing they can say things and how's the nba gonna say no he doesn't that's bs right we're finding you or whatever yep. but there are times where it's just blatant a team on the second half of a back-to-back they're just they're resting their best players yep. it's too much of a coincidence and i, I just wish the N- nba had more of a backbone they're just like, ah, we can't really do anything. It's like, what do you mean? You run the league. How are you not doing something about that? You brought up a good point. This is John Stockton. I got some audio for you. John Stockton, obviously, Utah Jazz, great. He was on uh, Sirius XM NBA radio, and he was asked about load management. I love his answer. Check this out from John Stockton. I went to a uh, Major League Baseball game once to watch one player. I won't embarrass him now, but uh, to watch one player. And he took a day off. And my opinion of him, my opinion of the team, my opinion of baseball all dropped in a blink. And I thought, wow, I'm never going to let that happen. Kids will travel. I know know a young man who lost his life trying to watch a jazz game, got in a car accident on the way down once. And when you realize people spend their money, they spend their time, they risk a lot of things to come watch you play perhaps that night and you take a night off, I just don't think that's okay. I love that. I do too. I I don't think it's okay for that. I don't think it's okay for you to give that message to your teammates. I think you lose respect from your teammates when you do that. Yeah. And when you got a whole team thinking they can do that, that's a big problem. I mean, I think that's a, that's poor leadership to me. That, that is, uh, that's the, uh, the crew running the ship. Yeah. Instead of the captain running the ship. I, I really believe that. And I think you lose respect. Yeah. And you certainly lose respect to, from the fans. No doubt you do. But yet it's true. It's a team thing also. You're setting the tone. Yep. Think if you're a young guy going into the NBA and you've got maybe a superstar teammate. That you know really isn't hurt. That is taking nights off. You might think, oh, okay, I guess this is just the way it is. Yep. And maybe even more so, you might have that same teammate telling the younger guys like hey man you got to think about the long haul mm. you got to keep your body right like it's just becoming more and more ingrained in the culture y- i'd I mean, agree with that yeah it's it's a big big problem man big problem and the way adam silver is talking it's not going to be changed anytime soon you're no. just going to see more of it i mean you got to read between the lines i think he's powerless and he's looking out for his job i don't think he really believes that he knows the negative effects of it has to and I don't know the positive. If you're hurt, don't play. You know, if you're hurt. Right. But if you're not, right. get your butt out there. I loved what Anthony Edwards of the Timberwolves, he's one guy who's played every game. He's one of two All-Stars that's played every game this season. And he was like, I just don't 
buy into the resting stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're eighty percent, you got to get out there. I love that. I agree. That's like old school thinking. Yeah, it's, it's now. like it's, really, really making winning important <laughs> instead of you. And we also we always talk about the benefits, of course, right? Yeah. Like there's less injury when you're taking nights off. You don't have any chance of injury if you're not playing. We get that, but we never talk about the negative side of it. Where take a team like the Clippers where they're the load management kings. <laughs> and, and sometimes they greatly struggle with yeah. chemistry. And, oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's Again, not just you all lose good. Respect. It's you, not all good no, all across it, the board. There's a lot more. It's it's mostly negative when you decide to do that, yeah. the load, man, load management stuff. If you're injured, don't play. But if you're not, get out there. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous. By the way, you interested in this Netflix sports documentary? There's the new thing, you know, Drive to Survive. It's very popular with following F1. And so Netflix just trying to go into more of these docs. You know, they're big on documentaries here. So the new one, they're going to launch a sports documentary. It's set for the summertime. They're following around three quarterbacks during the 2022 NFL season. Okay, Mm. You tell me if these names do anything for you. Patrick Mahomes. That works. Uh, I know Jimmy's that blushing works. over Jimmy, there. Jimmy, you ready for the Netflix sports doc? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm locked in. Kay. Jimmy's blushing. We got Mahomes. That makes sense. We got Kirk Cousins. Sparty, go green. And we have, hold on to your socks here, that. Marcus Mariota. He's in the NFL. He was until they said they were going to start the rookie Desmond Ritter, and then he <laughs> took his ball and went home. He, he just left the team. Do, do, we have a, do we have a clip of the – Kirk Cousins, you like that? Ah, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, ooh, ooh, Jimmy, ooh, ooh. God, I love this guy. Gosh, he's like he's on son. it. Where's the Mahomes drop over there? So, Pete no behind the bites. curtain, the yeah. uh, that sounder, shout out to my boy Eddie Garrison, uh, fellow producer here. We had a short-lived, uh, way-too-early pregame show for Colts games about a year ago, and that was one of our liners. So I had that ready to go in case... Case Dane asked for it. There you go. Very nicely done. Really ready to go. I'm not. I, I just wasn't prepared for you not having Mahomes sound though. You know. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, it's okay. Has Mahomes ever done anything interesting besides win Super Bowls, <laughs> or said anything interesting? I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. I guess. Yeah. That's a no. Could be a long search. <laughs> He's magic on the football field though. Not a not exactly a walking soundbite though. You know, how many days in a row have you worn his jersey to bed? <laughs> Man, what? How many days has it been still on the Super Bowl? I don't know. I didn't watch it. How many days until it made you a fortune? Uh, about two hours. No, it, like he went. Do you hear about Jimmy's big score in we the Super we don't, Bowl? We don't Jimmy scored. Yeah, he did. What did you do, Jimmy? Taking the Chiefs money line at halftime when they're down ten. Whoa! I'm surprised Jimmy's still working. It was. It was. It was dumb betting. Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. One hundred nine with it. <laughs> Brilliant. We're gonna call one eight hundred DeCourcy coming oh, up next. We got Mike DeCourcy, Sporting News, Big Ten Network. Let's talk some hoops coming up here. I'm Brian No. He's Dane Fife. It's ninety three five and one oh seven five the fan. I'm Brian No, he's Dane Fife here on the fan. Are you in charge of music this entire hour here, Dane? Yeah, my one request. Jimmy, Jimmy allows me. Jimmy, Jimmy affords me one request. One per round. Uh huh. 
And I had to go with that Eric Church, Mr. Misunderstood, because it, because I think it fits our next guest well. Does <laughs> Mike DeCorsi, Mr. Very uh, misunderstood. Misunderstood over there. He is a tough SOB. He's a tough man. Let's he find don't out. take no bull. Let's find out from him. Uh, Mike DeCorsi joins us here from Sporting News and Big Ten Network. Uh, good afternoon, Mike. Would you say that you are misunderstood? Would that be a good uh, walk-up song for you? I didn't think that, but I guess, I mean, that that, that was not the way uh, I viewed myself, but uh, I guess I, maybe that's how I'm perceived by others. Well, Mike, you're, you're easy on the eyes. You know, <laughs> you're not a towering Zach Eady type in stature. I think that maybe you give off the vibe that you're, uh, you know, a, a, a kind, gentle. I think you're tough. You're rugged. You could play on my. You could play on my team any day, Mike. I'd go to oh, war with Mr. That. Mike DeCourcy. He doesn't I put do up with anything, that. and that's what I respect about him. He doesn't. He doesn't take crap. Well, Wouldn't you say? You. I would say so. Absolutely. Yeah, I would double down on that for sure. You know, the IU Hoosiers didn't take any crap on Saturday, Mike. <laughs> what did you think about that performance? Were you surprised about that outcome? Uh, yeah, in the in the nature that it that it uh, that it developed, yeah, because uh, Trace, you would expect, although it's difficult for Trace to have a great game in a game against Zach. Uh, he did play mm-hmm. pretty well the first time around, but it's really it's difficult because it, Zach just consumes so much of the space where Trace Jackson Davis wants to play, and and so it it is difficult for him to have a great game, uh, and so I thought that if, if they were going to have a terrific game that probably that they would need to have some some more of Trace and then maybe contributions around. I I didn't see. Although I, I have great respect for Jalen Huchifino, I I was blown away by the fact that he went for thirty five. And I've been talking for uh, what five, six, seven weeks now about how if they're going to play Miller Cop for thirty minutes, and I think he's justifying that in his overall play. If you have a, uh, an asset like that on the floor, a guy who's shooting 40-plus, 40 40, I haven't checked right. it in, in a while, but he's 40, 40 to 45 from yep. three-point range, get him some shots because yeah. he, he's, he's more likely to make them than most guys. And, and so that was big on Saturday. He was really helpful. And then, of course, uh, Trey Galloway was fantastic. I mean, just changing the game every chance he got. It, it was a really impressive performance from their core group. They didn't get a ton from outside that group, but it, that what they got was so much that it didn't matter that they didn't get much from five, six, seven, eight, nine. Mike, moving forward, you've still got Purdue a number one seed in your Fox College Hoop bracket forecast. What makes them a number one seed? Well, I, it starts with the fact that at this point they still have the third best record against quad one opponents of any team in, of all the teams in the country. Uh, they are still nine and four against quad one opposition. That's equivalent to Alabama and inferior only to to uh, Kansas, which is a, a remarkable fifteen and five. That's it. I mean, you look at the others that are contenders for that, and UCLA is uh, six and four, seven and four, depending on what uh, Oregon did lately. Uh, right. Texas is ten and seven. Baylor is 10 and 8. So there's a clear separator there. And, like, the way people want to look at college basketball in particular, perhaps more than any other sport, mm-hmm. is it's like, what did you do yesterday? 
Right. And it is not nearly as much of that sort of sport as people think it is. Right. It, I went through in the late 2000s. I, I noticed that the last 10 games factor of the NCAA tournament selection process, maybe it was mid-2000s, and I noticed that it didn't seem like that all the teams that came in hot were going a long way and all the teams that did badly uh, down the stretch were, were getting uh, beaten right away. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing statistical analysis year after year. And over a period of years, it became apparent <coughs> that – that it was there was almost no correlation. Wow, like that's if interesting. Were, if you were ten and zero in your final ten games, and ten and zero in the second ten games, mm-hmm. and ten and zero in the first ten games, you were probably pretty good. But the teams that had those nice stretch runs, right? It, you look at Iowa a year ago. They come in, they storm through the Big Ten tournament. You think they're going away, mm-hmm. and they're great on offense, and and not only did they not advance on the basis of their offense. But they played a team that didn't have a great attack, and they didn't lose because they couldn't stop them. They they, they lost because they couldn't score. So mm-hmm. it's like people think that, that that matters, but what they don't really factor in is that you play those last 10 games almost exclusively against the members of your conference, and nobody knows you better than the members of your conference. And sometimes to particular teams that have certain weaknesses that can be exploited – that's debilitating. Exactly. And so you get into the NCAA tournament, what's the first thing they tell you? You can't play anybody from your conference for a while. Right. So that makes a difference. Wow. Hey, Mike, did Saturday night impact your thinking at all in terms of how far you expect IU and Purdue to advance come tournament time? Well, I've been saying for a while, as, as Purdue's problems developed, I've said that they have to start making shots again. If they they are not going, I don't care if Zach scores fifty, they're not going deep into the NCAA tournament if they're not making three point shots. And Fletcher Lawyer in particular has had a real problem making threes over the last six or seven weeks. It's been a while. Maybe maybe I'm exaggerating on that a little bit, not by much. Uh, we're at least going back to mid January, uh, and so that's if if he's going to play as much as he does. And again, he justifies that in a lot of ways, they need more out of him as a three-point shooter. They need Braden Smith to remain a threat. And I, they, that the three and four positions, they play Ethan Morton for defense. It didn't really work on Saturday because he, he was the one who was assigned first to guard Jalen, and it didn't work at all. And he had a couple of wide-open threes, and he's made some this year. But he had a couple wide-open ones that could have been difference makers early in the game, and he missed both of those. They put Brandon Newman in, and he made some shots. I, I think at a, a certain point in time, they're going to have to think about how many, you know, how many more minutes they can get Brandon Newman. Uh, if, if he's the only one that's going to go out and make shots, they got to figure out where to put him to try to get to get some more minutes out of him. Mike, you've looked around the country. I know you've probably watched every team on the planet right now. I'm mean, sure your weekends are just filled with nothing but. Um, you know, antique shopping and, uh, you know, bizarre shopping. But um, the teams around the country that you've seen in the leagues, I, I know that I heard you talking about the Big 12, um, saw something you wrote about the ACC. Um, what are the what what teams, perhaps some dark horses or some teams around the country uh, that what are what are some teams that you can see easily? 
uh, or envision making the Final Four, if not being national championship contenders? Well, I, if you're talking about dark horse Final Four teams, I mean, can Duke ever be a dark horse? Uh, but their <laughs> resume isn't great, and they've played poorly at times, but there's a lot of talent there. Yep. I mean, uh, that so if that all – in the way that Carolina all coalesced last year, I could see Duke doing that this year, certainly. Uh, I think Indiana counts as a dark horse Final Four contender. You've, you've got two guys who uh, – one guy who's a top 15, top 20 NBA pick, and the other guy who's one of the three best players in college basketball. Yeah. That's a lot to start with. I agree. Their depth – what they're what they are or not getting out of their depth. And, and I'm somebody that I, – I, I am sort of been on this for a while – like, I don't care what your bench scoring is. Like, right. that doesn't mean anything to me. Right. If I want to win the bench scoring contest, I don't start Zach Eady and then I put him in five minutes in. And, <laughs> oh, no, I win the – you know, like, who cares? Yeah, that's like, right. It, I agree. But you but you have to get minutes out of your bench. And they have to be productive minutes. They could be assists. It could be defense. It right. could be facilitating. But you have to get minutes. And that's – I still wonder about that a little bit with Indiana. Can you put guys out there and get productive mm-hmm. minutes? That's a, that's a question for them, but boy, when you've got a point guard like Jalen uh, and a big guy uh, like Trace and, and solid defense and Trey Galloway doing so many different things and a guy who can shoot it uh, like Miller Cop and it, uh, that you know if they can bring back Xavier Johnson and maybe get some of those minutes I'm right. talking about, yeah, exactly. That, they, I could see them getting there. Yep. Uh, I, I I think that that's you know those Arkansas is a team that if you want to talk about dark horses I, I don't know how deep into the field they're going to wind up because mm-hmm. their predictive metrics are really good but there's nothing else there right. I mean they haven't beaten many good teams they have you know they've lost to one or two bad ones um, so I don't know even know where they're going to end up being seated but uh, there's there's a lot of ability there and Nick Smith back from a long term injury. Uh, he's a he's a lottery pick. He's a top ten pick. Yeah, uh, and and he's had moments uh, where he played. He's played really well in the last week or so. And uh, they went down to Alabama, and of course Alabama's in this situation that they are now. And and I don't. Most of them don't seem to be very comfortable with the, with the situation. Doesn't seem to have phased Brandon Miller from his uh, production. Uh, but it, it, that was a game in which it was at Alabama, and I didn't think Arkansas played great, and they were still right there. So that gives me a little belief that Arkansas might be dangerous when we get to the tournament. Mike DeCorsi joining us here on The Fan. Mike, championship week's right around the corner. Are you more interested on the impact on seeding or these automatic bids and all the, the craziness as far as that goes? Yeah, actually, all of it. Uh, selection week, the uh, uh, Championship week, whatever you want to call it, is my favorite week. I, I, I love the tournament uh, with great passion, but I also I, I really love the chase for bids and teams, you know, playing in those uh, one bid leagues, playing for championships and knowing what's at stake, and uh, and then you know getting into a gym like on a quarterfinal day, uh, whether it's in the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, where every single team that walks into the gym is a tournament contender and maybe even in. So you know the games are, are high level. Uh, you go you go to the to the Big Twelve quarters this year. You're going to see that. You go to the Big Ten quarters this year. You're going to see that. Uh, that's a, I mean that's a, a unbelievable day uh, if you can get that. So I, I, I those are my favorite times. So I, I really that 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 week uh, once I get done all my uh, pre 
all, all the, the stories that I have do because uh, we do our All-America team and Player of the Year and, and Coach of the Year all the same week in advance of Championship Week. Uh, once I get all that done, I can breathe a little bit and enjoy all that hoops. For sure, Mike. Well, hey, man, great stuff today. Mm. Enjoyed talking to you. Awesome, Mike. Yeah. Mr. Oh. Misunderstood. Mr. Misunderstood. <laughs> yes. What a pleasure. It's great to talk to you guys. Cool stuff, man. There he is, Mike DeCorsi. Thank you, Mike. Sporting News, Big Ten Network. What would be your entrance music? What would you walk up to? Um, I'm going to get back to you. Okay. I, I You put me on the spot. I, yeah, it's... I, it's tough. I like that you're putting thought into it. Yeah. You didn't just rattle off the first song that you thought of there. Mm-hmm. We'll circle back to that before we get on out of here. A little getting to know, no, and Dane. I think we could get to that. And uh, I got a story about eating too many eggs. Mm. Not mine, but it's in the sports world. Gassy. And I think you'll be interested to hear that. That's on the way. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, Dane, I need to know your walk-up music. Brian No, Dane Fife here on the fan. What's it going to be? What are we looking at here? What genre of music is what I want to know? I'm a huge Goo Goo Dolls fan. I just I don't know if there's one there. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get lazy. John Mellencamp, small town. Why not? Okay. I am from a small town. What the heck? You know, uh, is it? Uh, does it throw you off that he's from Indiana, though? Nope. You know? You nope. being a Michigan guy, you're okay with that? Nope. Yeah, I'm good with it. Yep. Okay. I feel like I'm an Indiana guy now. There you go. What's the over-under on days before we get into a fist fight with you hating all things Notre Dame I, and me loving Just Notre, Notre Dame, Dame football. football. Yeah, just, I, just football. I, I love and – not love. I respect Notre Dame basketball. Okay. But Notre Dame football just ruined a lot of Saturday days and evenings for me when I was a young Michigan football fan in the 80s. Just Lou Holtz picking the grass, running his mouth, Tony Rice, the bus. The bus. Um, You know, I went bowling with the bus one time. Wow. Yeah. Bowling with the bus. Went bowling with Jerome Bettis. He went there with my dad. Uh, We got his his ball re-drilled. We went to King Giro's. Your dad's ball or the bus? The bus's ball. Bus got his ball re-drilled. And we went and uh, we bowled. Mm. It was a pleasant day. How'd you how'd you bowl? How'd bowled you f- okay. Just okay. Just all right. How'd Jerome? How'd the bus do? Bus has a power game. Bowling. The bus from Detroit. Absolutely, big time bowler over there. He's legit. Had the hook and everything. You know they tapped into Detroit quite a bit with the bus. Um, Edwin Watson, another I don't Pontiac, remember. Michigan. I don't remember. Wow. What, what position? Well, just fullback, running back. Just <laughs> I remember Ray Zellers. He was the fullback for Jerome Bettis at that Rodney time. Rodney Culver was in Rodney there. Rodney Culver, yeah. Rodney Rest Culver's his soul. Very good. Rest in peace, back. Spirit Airlines. Rest in peace, Rodney yeah. Culver. Um, just the whole Ron Pola, Paulus and just that whole hype. But just Notre Dame football always bothered me because I was a Michigan football fan. Well, it should. They so owned us. A rival, yeah. They owned us. I uh, I hate Michigan football, you know. Well, hate him. Reggie Ho, do you remember Reggie Ho? I do remember what the? Oh my gosh, oh, little spirit great. fingers before he awesome. kicked. Oh, I just wanted Such to punch him. Such a great routine. Then Tommy Reese is back. That's brought back awful memories. That was the beginning. I hate to bring this up, not really, but 
That was the last time they won a championship in 88. That was Reggie Ho against Michigan. It was like 1917. It was a field goal fest. Ah, it's awful. Reggie Ho and his little spirit fingers. Before, yeah. Can we get Reggie Ho on the show tomorrow? That would be awesome. His name's Reggie Ho. What's Reggie Ho doing these days? You should know. I have no idea. Brian, no? About <laughs> Reggie Ho. I should know all about Reggie Jimmy, Ho. Jimmy shaking his head in disgust or just disbelief. Like, how did he come up with that? <laughs> it's, it's both amazed and a little disgruntled. This combination. It's kind of hard to read Jimmy. He, he is. He, you know? He, he, he shakes his enigma, head. You know, I feel I like he'd Very be a great enigmatic. poker player. Are you into yeah. cards there, Jimmy? Not really. No? Well, I mean, every now and again. Buddies, bachelor party, whatever, but I'm not, you know, I'm not. Uh... He's big into sports betting. He is. Which is great, but not into cards? That's like yeah, a hand I'm in not, hand. I'm not like into cards. I just, I'm not. Not I'm heavy. very good. I'm, I don't know. Not, okay. He's got some Frank the Tank in him. You ever been streaking? I've never been streaking, no. <laughs> okay. You? No. Just in my house. Lots of streaking. I, I resemble the Keep back. Keep them on their toes. My backside resembles exactly that of one Will Ferrell. You'd be shocked. <laughs> I'll snap a photo, Jimmy. On that note, I'm going to hand out some bets. Let's do it. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. Keeping it simple. Just one play for you. Going to take Baylor. Twin on the road on the money line against Oklahoma State. You can find the plays on Twitter at uh, Jay Cook. Let's have a good week. Let's have a good week. Here's the thing. Go ahead. I've got a question, and then based on the question, I might have um, a follow-up. A request. Oh, okay. A request. All right. So looking for the right word there. Um, is it by design that you don't say what the money line is? You know, like it's minus one thirty-five uh, or it's plus one twenty. If or... it if it's juicy, I'll drop it in there. Yeah. Uh, it's a pick 'em today. Okay, so take that for what you want. I always wonder. He's like, I'm taking him on the money line. I'm like, well, what is the money uh, so, line? So right. sometimes, because I try to be like, I'm never going to give you something that's like minus two fifty. Like it's got to be like minus. Because I want I want some juice. I want some action for my money. I don't want just oh, well, I'm going to take Houston today over, uh, I don't know, Tulsa. I, you know, I'm not. I, I want. I want some value. That's with an my awful bet. game, Jim. Pull one out. I don't know. Exactly. If I'm taking Houston one on the money line at minus seven hundred, who am I helping? They don't even have a football team anymore, Jimmy. Yeah, they got a basketball team, don't they? <laughs> hey, uh, do you? What's your overall record? Do you? Do you keep track of that? Uh, I do. We are seven games north of five hundred. I don't have it in front of me right now, but, but is if, that good? Hey, it's from how far back? Three days. Two years. <laughs> two years. Two years ago? Two years, two years of plays on the show. We were positive. That's Hey, man. Yeah. That's, that's good. That, that's really what I'm shooting for. Is, is JMV out there? Johnny, come in here. <laughs> he hides. He's, he's, he, he listens. He lurks. Johnny, JMV. Nothing in the association tonight, huh, Jimmy? No NBA picks. I don't dislike that. We got the Celtics and Knicks. Nothing. Not loved, bad matchup. Didn't love anything on the slate. What's um, up with Miami? Miami sucks against yeah. the spread this year. They're They've terrible. been a tough team to bet. I, I've had tough luck betting games involving the Celtics. Jason Tatum's broken my heart a, a time or two this year, so I'm just staying away. You know the team that's crushed me time and time again? The Memphis freaking Grizzlies. I don't know what it is. If I bet on them, they suck. If I bet against them, they are all world. I don't know why. It, Jaron Jackson in foul trouble. 
is why. It happens sometimes. So you happens hear, all the time. Hear about this? There's a uh, there's a boxer, ate too many eggs. So uh, there's a boxer. He's been cleared of doping allegations. Okay, so he got popped. He was taking a female fertility drug. At least the initial tests showed that he, that was, he was taking a female. He was taking this. Turns out they've reversed course. The WBC, they later said, uh, actually, it's because he eats too many eggs. Eggs. Too many eggs over there. How many eggs do you have to eat for it to trigger a false positive where they think for you're taking a female, female fertility, fertility drug? drug? How many eggs is he? I, there are a lot of follow-up questions on I, this. I just, I'm stunned. <laughs> I mean, eggs, female fertility drug. You ever do the raw eggs like Rocky? Never. Would you ever? Well, it's all about the salmonella. I mean, how do you how do you how are you not worried about that? I don't know. I mean, you can't even eat raw cookies without getting chastised by your mom or my mom. You ever have like cookie dough? All day, every day. Tremendous. It's just there's nothing on earth that tastes better than that. There's nothing. Can you think of something? I really can't. It, I think it is at the raw the cookie top, dough chocolate chips. It's the top or not. of the, the taste chain right there. Yes, Jimmy? No, I can't either. They, they make just edible cookie dough. Yeah, but it's not the same because they're they're taking out an yeah. ingredient. They keep it salmonella I, free. I don't have the brand in front of me. I will look it up at, when I get home, but we have a little tub of cookie dough that is it is a safe to eat. It's very, very delicious. And I do it's think j- there's something like the danger aspect is gone. Oh, you, you know, like if, you, if your mom, when you're a kid, says <laughs> true. You, you can't, you can't no, have too is. much. It feels of this. a lot better when you're breaking. It seems the like rule. it tastes better, doesn't it? Yeah, I just, I think you gotta go the. I mean, if people can, that's the whole thing. Like, mom, there's a diet where people eat raw eggs. <laughs> like, mom, why are we Rocky so worried about four, salmonella? Right? Like, think no. about this. If I get sick and live to tell about it, we've got a heck of a lawsuit against the egg company <laughs> and the cookie dough company. Right. You could double dip. I think that's what Jimmy's because Jimmy has a tub in his freezer. He's thinking the same way I am. Lawsuit if sick. Try to cash in, you mean? Yeah. I mean, hey, you always got to be thinking. See? Jimmy, look at it. Cardinals are up seven to four. We should be on the in game over. How do these sports books not allow that? Who are the wise guys that are just like, oh, okay, I, I scouted this pitcher. He's double A. He's going to get racked. I mean, it's consistent across the board. Right, it's not just this matchup. You can't. They just don't let you do it. Maybe it's the fact that it can tie. I don't know. It's disappointing, I no right there. It's very disappointing. I could tell you it was going over. You know, I don't know anything about who's playing right now, but it had overwritten all over it. Maybe it's a long game. You're itching for it now, and then that regular season opener with the live bets flashed in front of you. Yeah, you're diving in. Yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow's show already. Here, Dane. Yeah, we got some combine stuff. Got some Colts. Little Lions. Can we get a Lions guest on, Jimmy? I, I can get a Lions guy if, if we really want it. I don't know what the numbers will do for that, but I can do it for Dane. <laughs> what would the, what would drive up the numbers, Jimmy? <laughs> Just you being here. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, he's going to be here tomorrow. Boom. So we got numbers. How Presto. about that? Numbers go up. We got cashews and numbers. Okay. I'm Brian No, He's Dane Fife. Keep it locked right here. JMV coming up on the fan. Johnny!